You saw Negan. That was really nice. Thank you. Was that Santa Claus? No, that was uh, somebody who just says ho uh, three times in a row. Ho! He's uh, in the club calling for his ho. (laughs) Yes, it was fucking Santa Claus. Marley and Marley. Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter. Merry Christmas to you in jail. <laughs> that guy's a dick. I am just really enjoying these cookies. Put that cookie down. Put the oh, cookie down. These cookies are delicious. Christmas vacation. Oh, what? I don't know what that is. <laughs> are you for real? I'm for real. You don't know what Christmas vacation right, is. Uh, is it National Lampoon? We are going to take a hour and a half break. And, uh, <laughs> we'll be right back. We have to talk to two songs. And show him a movie. <laughs> I mean, you don't, you don't have to like it. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase? You, you don't, don't know, know what, what it this is. is. I. You've never heard <laughs> of just Christmas not Vacation. Going to finish this episode anymore because this is just too much to take. <laughs> Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. Coming up on today's episode, we'll be discussing our top six favorite holiday media. We're going to have the hap, hap, happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap dance with Danny fucking K. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody. Welcome into episode 45, and happy holidays, as this is our uh, top six holiday episode, as uh, it's all holiday media, so it'll be television or movies. Or really anything that's uh, involved. I guess it could even be like YouTube videos and that kind of thing, right? Happy yeah, Festivus. It's, yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Seinfeld. Nice reference. Seinfeld drop. Oh, yep. Man. I was. I. I this it, guy. it isn't on my list, but I was definitely going to bring that up at some point. So I'm glad you, you went right for it because. No problem. One last thing I have to bring up later. It's a <laughs> Festivus miracle. Uh, in addition to me, Alex Diekman, the voices you hear are Nick Cheney and Susan oh, Egan. Oh, oh, oh. That was really nice. Thank I you. Thought, Thank I thought, you. Was, was that Santa Claus? No, that was uh, somebody who just says ho uh, three times in a row. Ho! He's uh, in the club calling for his ho. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it was fucking Santa Claus. Okay. <laughs> That's all you really had to say. Just Santa Claus just <laughs> did, did like really? <laughs> like a stack of one dollar bills, yeah. just fanning them out in every direction. No, it's ah. Santa Claus going through his shed and taking inventory. Ho, 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 lawnmower. Ho. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't you love the uh, the highbrow work of this show? I know I do. I do. I think that that is highbrow. I mean, that's best wordplay, man. You don't get better than that. Hmm. It's kind of wordplay, but not not really. Yeah, it's something. We'll give you that. that it is, is in fact, a thing. But yeah. So yeah, uh, we're gonna go through our six uh, favorite holiday themed. Media, uh, media uh, events or media, not events, but you know what I mean. Media, yeah. either TV, um, media, media artifacts. I think we can just safely say right now, 
everybody at this table did movies or TV shows. Yeah. Like yeah. we, as, even though we did open it to really anything, that's that's what came up. Yeah, even um, myself, and we'll get more into honorable mentions later. I I did uh, shoot off a little bit into um, a TV. Um, almost like clip show because one of my honorable mentions, which I'll bring up later, but was uh, the SNL uh, Christmas kind of montage episode yeah. that they've run like quite like frequently. Where they the, yeah. where they just do the pastiche of like all the Christmas themed sketches. Yeah, well, yeah. not all of them, but like but, the best ones, right, right. like sweaty balls, sweaty balls, and um, Dana Carvey playing the church lady on yeah. Christmas or the uh, Lawrence Welk show. Well, that's that was one of them. Okay, I don't maybe not in that particular episode. Never mind. No, well, and um, Chevy Chase playing the president, putting the uh, the star on the tree and falling through it, which is always a good lip lifter. <laughs> it is. But yeah, that's the the kind of thing that we we said when we didn't want to just limit this to movies. Is really want to to have anything that really makes you think of the holiday season. Yeah. And I'm assuming that uh, a lot of us are going to do be doing Christmassy type things <laughs> in ours, but we'll see. Yeah, there's there's one on mine that's uh, it's a battle between Christmas and something else. Okay, oh, yeah. very good. Actually, two, two. I just, I just mm-hmm. looked and I forgot about another one. Well, we're looking forward to hearing those and uh, all of our lists. And two, if 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 you out there had a list of your own that you've you've decided to put together and you wanted to send it to us so we can can look at it and bring it up on a future episode, you can always send that to filmtankshow at gmail.com. Please do, because I seriously fucking love Christmas and and holiday holiday media, and that's going to become much more evident where this episode goes on. It's surprising, because I love Christmas, too, and my wife does, so we go all out in terms of we watch as many Christmas movies as we can, and we do up our, you know, inside of our house and outside, and always go out and buy gifts just because even if they're not expensive just because we love doing yeah. christmas this time of year and having fun with it so it's great mm-hmm. yes it is for sure yep so starting off on number six <laughs> <laughs> what was that nothing i was gonna say tucson over here hates christmas i don't hate year. christmas i just prefer new year's oh, oh wow yeah. that's a telling what Oh. telling right there. What? I prefer us to get to another year where Christmas will not be here anymore. So. <laughs> and then next year, I'll also pretend like it doesn't exist. <laughs> but he made a list, so that's good. He yeah. did. So number six on my list is uh, a movie that most people do not really care for, which is totally <laughs> fine. Uh, it is The Family Stone, which uh, oh, most people have. I like that movie. I've never do heard of that. Do you actually really like it? I do. That's what I'm trying to say. I fucking love Christmas <laughs> media, so more often times than not, I do. So, And I like that movie. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I felt like the first time I went to see it, which was when it came out in the theater, which was 10 years ago now. Yeah, Jesus. Um, I remember going to see it in the theater, and uh, the friend I went with, uh, who was a female, was uh, not a fan, and she thought it was stupid. And I was saying, I thought that was great. I mean, the story wasn't like really in depth, but there were some really interesting points to it, and it was really a nice kind of showing of different walks of life of not just five regular white people hanging out during Christmas Day. Yeah, I I would say I like it because while I personally find it to be 
cliched white people yeah. and their well. white people problems. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's it's the you know it's the Christmas setting that always makes me go ah, but you know what, white people have feelings too, and I just get into it. Um, but you can really, <laughs> you just said it was ten years ago, and you can tell it's ten years ago just by looking at that cast list. Like that is such a weird. Why, like Dermot Mulroney? Yeah, like so well, I mean, is that? It's like all those. You don't know who Dermot Mulroney is? Who the yeah. fuck is Dermot Mulroney? Oh I, I can't goodness. even think of the, the face to attach that name. Don't, don't uh, even wanna. Don't even wanna. We'll, sh- we'll, uh, we'll tell you when you're older. Too, yeah. Oh, well, whatever. I'll he's, show you a picture. Uh, I don't. He's, he's not really a person that you. You forget who it is. Well, I mean, I mean, like you can't really point out to because now I'm just thinking of random things that I know you haven't seen Tucson. So I'm like, sorry. No, no. I'm just like, so that would make it much more impossible to. And I feel like he was parodied in a movie, um, and it was uh, it was a rather popular movie, but I can't remember what it was now. No idea. What you're... But oh no, okay. Well, you mean like in SNL when they, I think they did a sketch that was like a person getting confused between Dermot Mulroney and um, the other name that's Dylan like, McDermott. Yes, like there was. A, I think <laughs> SNL did a sketch where like people kept saying the wrong one. or no, something like I, that. yeah. I'm I think, looking at a picture of this guy. He's uh, he's not registering. Yeah, my, no, on my radar okay, at no, all. He, he's a pretty bland. Um, you know. No, yeah. I I, I want to say that it was not who was getting parodied. But it was a film within a film, and they were making fun of a, a woman who was starring in a role opposite uh, him, and it was a really stupid romantic comedy. And it was actually in like the trailer that you watched right. in the film, and I thought it was right. grand. Uh, it may have know. been... I don't want to. I don't want to say for sure, but I'm feeling like it may have been um, forgetting Sarah Marshall. But I'm. Ooh, that's, it's a total guess. He's he was a, in Stoker, but I don't remember him from that. He's uh, he's the, the, the he's father. father at the. Like um, he's dead Roman. when the movie is really taking place, but yeah. then you see the flashbacks to uh, him and and his brother and okay, yeah, or like when he takes uh, her hunting and whatnot. Okay, cool. anyway, but there's uh, a, lot, a lot of people. This is a ensemble film, and as we mentioned, Dermot Mulroney and Sarah Jessica Parker, but also Diane Keaton, Claire Danes, yeah. Rachel McAdams, Craig T. Nelson, Luke Wilson. So yeah, it's a it's a pretty packed cast, and uh, it's it's definitely. It's like it's one of those Christmas movies that does play annually, like on like a TV somewhere, you know. And it's one of those where I personally like if it, it's if it's on and I turn it on, I'm like, oh, and I'll end up watching the whole thing because I I don't know that it for me does anything spectacular no. or anything special in any way, but it does it well enough that I, I enjoy my ninety minutes with it. Well, and I I think the thing that really always brings me to it is I feel like it kind of has a little bit of everything, which yeah. sometimes that's really bad in movies, and I could see why some people don't necessarily love it for this film but this film is definitely funny at some points it does have really good characters uh at, at a lot of different points and then you really can grow to really like them especially on multiple viewings and there was pretty good dramatic scenes that actually i feel like are done pretty well which is i don't think this film really ever gets credit for but i i think like the the scene with craig t nelson and luke wilson on on the uh on the uh high school uh, football field, football field. Yeah, that's right i mean just little scenes like that that are between two guys who aren't necessarily like the most dramatic actors, but I feel like it actually like comes out pretty pretty well. Yeah, no, it does, and I do like the fact that it like I think what works in its favor is that it, it has too many characters, <laughs> but like that's a good thing in this case because then we don't ever truly I would say dwell on any like 
you know, cause if, because it's going to be not particularly nuanced, so to speak. Like, we, we just get to keep spinning the plates and going from one plate to another, and then, you know, it's over. And I, I feel like it does does kind of capture the hustle and bustle of, like, the holiday season and trying to, like, cater to your to everybody's family needs. Well, and the other thing that this film does, and I think it's uh, obviously the, like, main purpose of the film is showing new people getting brought into to the fray because we have – you know, the family as constructed and this is how they've always gotten together for Christmas. And then there's the girlfriend that nobody likes. And then the other husband who isn't there because he's on a business trip. And then the girlfriend's sister. And that's not like a normal thing, but then they like her so much more than the actual girlfriend. And it's like really kind of politicky kind of things that are happening within the family setting. And it really, I think serves its purpose and what it's trying to do. Yeah. No, and I, I think it tastefully resists to try to like, give quirks to these people like it's just very straightforward because it reminded me of a lot of the uh the movie that just came out last year uh the one with jason bateman and tina fey uh, this is how i leave you okay which is it's not christmas but same exact thing as far as family gets together because of forced circumstances but there are outsiders and you know whatever and but like everybody was just like had their own personal quirk that made no sense because like it seemed like that's the only way they could define the characters i like in the family stone that like they don't tr- stretch too far in trying to be like and trying to differentiate itself from the pack and be, so sometimes complacency is a good thing yeah i i would i would agree with that and i i just uh really do enjoy that movie and it's it's one that i think my wife and i have actually and some of the ones on my list like are films i like even more that i would consider classics and we don't watch those every year. And maybe part of it is because I've seen those each like 30 times and I've only seen the family stone probably like five times now, but every year we've been together, we've sat down and watched it together and I'm sure we're going to, uh, keep that tradition going in the future too. Yeah. So moving on to Nick and his number six. Okay. So I should point out that I had a huge list going before, (laughs) before I narrowed it down. And then I decided to say, fuck movies (laughs) um, because I talk about them every week and uh, I will, I will resume talking about movies uh, next week and whatnot. But if anybody truly knows me, my true passion is TV, Uh, but also TV, Christmas TV, like it just gets me right, right in the feels. And uh, I, so I decided to excuse Exclusively only include things uh, that are uh, television episodes. So my number six is uh, a season two episode of The O.C. And the episode is called The Chrismica That Almost Wasn't. And for those of you who are O.C. illiterate, uh, (laughs) Chrismica is a made-up holiday by one of the main protagonists, Seth Cohen, played by uh, Adam Brody, uh, because he... (laughs) It's a Jewish family, but he always, as a kid, because he's a spoiled brat, uh, wanted to celebrate Christmas as well. So he made up his own holiday and called it Chrismica. So it became an annual tradition in the show uh, to do a Chrismica episode. Hmm. And the best one they ever did was in season two. And I think that's because it was the one that does the kind of tired old uh, variation of, like, something threatens to, like, get everybody out of the holiday spirit because they took what was arguably um, one of their most dramatic storylines and they like blew it all up in the Christmas episode or I should say the Christmica episode uh, which revolved around and I'm sorry if I'm spoiling this but the show is like over 10 years old now <laughs> yeah. but revolved around a person finding out that someone close to them was actually their sister and not just a random person you know because it, it was a soap opera a 
primetime soap. Uh, but that's also kind of what I loved about it because it it has Seth Cohen trying to get everybody into the Christmas spirit, uh, which you see time and time again in so many Christmas uh, fiction where like people are trying to get other people to like, oh, come on, you Scrooge, you need to celebrate Christmas and all your problems will go away. And I love that by the end of the episode, even he's just kind of like, fuck this. <laughs> Things just got <laughs> way too out of you know control and whatnot. Um, but with that ridiculously soapy reveal that um, – that these two characters were related uh, that they didn't know about beforehand, it kind of accidentally ties into another Christmas trope that I love, which is the idea of makeshift families coming together. Because, like, you know, if you either people, a lot of times Christmas fiction will center around protagonists that either don't like their family or don't have family, and then, like, the, the people like that they get together with instead of, uh, and they, you know, it's like a makeshift family. So I kind of love that this episode makes that literal, and, like, it took these people who weren't previously related and then because of this revelation uh, they were and then ended up like putting aside their differences and you know uh, time honored uh, holiday tradition and they basically say like we're just going to postpone dealing with this emotionally because Seth Cohen needs to celebrate Christmas <laughs> like it, it's so ridiculous and that's why it's number six like it's not some kind of whatever but because I love the OC and I love Seth Cohen who's like the prototypical like literate geek uh that graced our tv that we have not even gotten since i mean he's the kind of character who like would reference the dark knight before the dark knight became a thing because he actually was uh you know uh fluent in comics and whatnot mm-hmm. so I, I just love that this the the show completely uh for one episode a year decided to like almost like sideline its soap <laughs> storyline just to let one of his characters go crazy about uh, celebrating the holiday that he loves so, so my number six is uh the chrismica that almost wasn't by the mm. oc very so, good yeah okay that's my turn yeah okay so i guess um just the a... first chrismica episode didn't you no just to to preface this i think that how i would describe myself at least generously would be that I am a modest encyclopedia of pop culture ephemera and cartoon bullshit. So I decided to split it down the middle and like have like television and movies. And my first Christmas favorite media is South Park Woodland Critter Christmas. That is good. Because it is one of the most profane (laughs) Christmas specials. And I remember watching it for the first time, like in 2004, back when I could actually be shocked by South Park, when it actually possessed the capability to shock me. And it's still something that I look back on and just like laugh. Just the thought of the the little boy in the red poofball hat Stan like stumbling into the forest and finding these woodland creatures and trying to like help them birth their savior, <laughs> and then quickly and quickly spirals into something so sinister and so depressing. It's incredibly violent. It is yeah. very very violent. Uh, Santa Claus makes an appearance. Uh, a very graphic appearance. Did Jesus make an appearance? Jesus did not make okay. an appearance. In I only that say that because he shows up in a lot of uh, South Park episodes. And yeah. I think even other holiday episodes. But uh, yeah. it's been a while since I've seen the Woodlands episode. The the more that I try to like unravel, because it's been a while since I've watched it, but it still like, sticks out of my mind. There are so many things about that episode that are so wrong. <laughs> From... Stan killing the, the the mother lion and finding out about the three cubs that can't live without it. And 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 the the, the lion cubs 
being taken to a, to an abortion clinic in order to learn how to, to give the to give the squirrel an abortion. No, the porcupine an abortion because it's about to give birth to the to the brood of Satan. And then, then Santa Claus humping, like jumping through a, a ring of fire. Did you say humping at first? I'm sorry. I think you did. Santa Claus jumping through a ring of fire with a shotgun and just laying waste to all of them, including their manger. Yeah, and it does all this while completely adhering to like the old time shtick of like nursery rhyme, yeah. you know, storytelling. Because, and like, even that's explained with the uh, with the. The, the narration yeah. as, as who is actually describing the story and then oh wow this all makes sense now yeah yeah it's 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 <laughs> i think it's definitely the the best christmas episode south park has ever done absolutely and uh, and that's saying something because usually they go all out like with red sleigh down or uh, they some other they stuff. started the the show started from a christmas special yeah so. that yes that is true it was yeah. like santa claus versus jesus or something wasn't it? <laughs> yeah something like yeah, that yeah yeah so no, that's a i love that episode what a throwback yeah it yeah. is all right, so moving on to number five, uh, my only television episode that will be making oh, an boy. appearance on uh, this uh, this episode. Um, it, was, it was kind of a surprising because I kept thinking about if this is the one I wanted to choose from this series, and uh, at the end of the day was the, the clear choice for me, so I, I decided to go with it, but... It is uh, surprising. You just talked about how that was the one of, or when a Christmas episode was the first episode of South Park. This episode was the first episode of this series, which now is approaching 600 episodes. I know what you're talking about. And that is the episode entitled Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire, the first episode ever of The Simpsons. Wow. Yeah. Um, And when I was a kid, we had this episode, only this episode, too, on videotape. Like, it was purchased from a store, yep. and it was just this 22-minute episode, and that's all that was on this yeah. I remember when they used to be able to get away with that shit. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, they'd package, like, two episodes of the X-File on one VHS. Yeah. yeah. This was one V, and I think yeah. I remember the price beyond, and it was, like, $14 for this one episode of television on VHS. Can't put a price tag on it, though. Uh, well, it... <laughs> I don't want to say it's the best of the Christmas episodes cause I, of, that they've done, but I think in terms of remembering back and seeing it so many times because we did own it and we didn't really have that many other episodes of The Simpsons uh, on home movie at that time. <laughs> you didn't go out and buy every single uh, single episode of VHS of The well, Simpsons? Well, <laughs> they got to the, we did have a, a lot of collections of the first few seasons on VHS uh, where there was like three different tapes that had a bunch of the episodes, but not all of them, I don't think. And then I started collecting the DVDs and... I eventually Makes gave up. a little easier. It does, but I, I kind of gave up on that uh, in terms of collecting all the seasons because they, they're, they're, they're like 26 now or something. Yeah, it's, and also they stopped number. making DVDs after yeah. like season. Like they, they literally said they're not going to make any more because of the uh, Simpsons thing on FX. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Hmm. But uh, th- this episode for me always was a throwback uh, whenever I thought about Christmas and uh, Christmas time just because there are a lot of things that are, I feel like, not necessarily important to the series because the characters are obviously quite different uh, if you watch this compared to a modern Simpsons episode. But in terms of like Christmas episodes of, of media, in terms of themes that happen like that, you get a lot of things here that you've seen on a lot of other TV uh, shows and also in Christmas movies too, whether it be the family struggling to provide gifts for their children uh, or um, fathers being out of a job and, and looking for desperation ideas. 
and uh, just a lot of other little things like that and, uh, you know, things to buy for their kids and kids wanting to do certain things as Bart, uh, I believe, uh, wants to get a, a, a tattoo. No, no this I think is it's the ears pierced. Because his ears pierced. I thought it was a tattoo. Maybe it is a tattoo. I can't remember which one, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. one of the two. But and it, it's one it, of those things that kids want to do and their parents are horrified of. Yeah. <laughs> But then uh, at the at the end of this episode, they find their uh, their family fat Santa's little helper, which is great because that's how that always comes back. Whenever I see them bring up their uh, dog's name on the series, and they say Santa's little helper, I can't help but always think of this episode because yep. that's where he came from. That's right, because that was he was a race dog. He was a race dog yeah. who was thrown away, and that's what they got for Christmas. And that was the other thing that I, I think I absolutely love about this episode. And, you know, it is the first episode of a, a really long standing series. So you watch it and it's a lot different from a lot of the more current episodes I already mentioned once, but, um, you know, you have like the, the happy ending almost of, you know, we didn't really get the presents that the kids wanted and we, we didn't really have the kind of season that we were hoping for, but we now have a family pet that we all love and enjoy when he just got thrown away at the racetrack because he wasn't a very good race dog. So Aww. Yeah, no, it feels like the kind of lessons that like uh, people like Jim Henson like to kind of imbue in their production, which I'm sure Jim Henson might get brought up uh, later on this <laughs> podcast. Um, but no, I'm actually, I'm as someone who proclaims himself as someone who fucking loves TV, I don't love the Simpsons, which is like blasphemy in, in the circles that I, you know, talk like TV, TV yeah. with. Uh, however, I love the first two seasons of the Simpsons and I think, and because of that, I love uh, the first episode of the Simpsons because I love the mix of heart and like cynicism. Like, you know, it's like, that's what I love. Like that, that ending is a happy ending, but it's also like a, comes after 22 minutes of seeing homer be a pretty shit dad uh, you know like and he he makes up for it so to speak but yeah. like it's not like he's like a you know like a good guy trying to like just you know make it you know it's not like that one of those like christmas specials where it's like the the whole universe is conspiring against somebody and then finally they're able to find a solace like he kind of makes his own problems and he's also raising kind of an asshole kid and like and yet that's also what brings them all together because much like Santa's little helper they're kind of like these people that got tossed away and that the world forgot about and that's what they can take comfort in so well another thing that I like about Homer and I think this is a trend that not necessarily that it started here but we we saw it a lot then uh, with other characters on TV shows where uh, not necessarily just the father, but someone on the show is forced to play Santa Claus and they are trying to hide it with uh, other characters on the show, which I think is something that becomes great on this show where uh, he's playing Santa at the mall and uh, Bart comes up and he's like, you're not Santa. And he pulls his beard off and it's Homer there. Homer. And then he, he, he's laughing at it too. And like, mm -hmm. it's not like it's like your cliched, like kid is horrified or something like Bart probably a person who never believed in Santa. And, yeah. You know, and so it just makes it even funnier to him that it's his pathetic dad, you know? Yeah. Who's now at the mall yeah. playing Santa Claus when he should be at the power plant. Yeah. 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 Um, it's one that I always go back to and I, I've watched probably more than any other Simpsons episode with maybe the exception of the New York episode, because that's still for some reason, one of my favorites where uh, Homer's waiting for his car to get uh, taken between the, uh, the twin towers. So, Whoa. yeah, it actually was a uh, fun fact about that. That episode was not shown on TV for like three or four years uh, in between. And then it finally was, I think, in like 2005. It's it's 
so bizarre to like look back at old shows that I used oh, to yeah. watch as a kid, like especially like Gargoyles, yeah. which actually had an episode where there was an actual standoff on the the Twin Towers and lightning actually struck it. I'm just like that would never fly. Well, they're such a monumental. They were unfortunately, you know, such a monumental, like you know. Part of that skyline, part exactly. Of that that it would find its way in the titles of a lot of shows, whether it be The Sopranos, which then I think they digitally scrubbed out from season four on because hmm. that's when like the timeline, as far as like obviously Sopranos started before nine eleven. But Frasier. the show uh, well, that's Seattle. Okay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it found its way there somehow. Um, but the shows like uh, News Radio, um, Sports Night, which are all shows that took place in New York, like they just took the stock footage of like whatever they filmed in one day of just to put to music whatever and yeah and you see it in there and it's it's weird well uh even not necessarily like an integral part of the film but look at home alone 2 where kevin's on top of the twin towers i don't remember which one it was but he's looking out the the and they have that great shot where it's pulling away from him on on top of it and it's yep. one of those things where it's like man that's uh, wow that's, that's, what showing its age a little bit yeah I was like, wow <laughs> those are old movies yeah. i know that was the second one too and yeah. that's what 93 i want to say yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah it's a christmas movie the first one what's that home alone well they both are oh they both are i forget yeah. what even happened the third the one is one. too yeah, we're not going to talk about the third yeah, one. I don't think so. I don't even know if we're going to talk about the first two. <laughs> but they might get a mention in the honorable mentions later. We'll see. Uh-oh. Simpsons roasting on a fire on an open fire, though, is number five on my list. And now let's move on to Nick. Well, let me get glasses. see what's on. Yeah, I know we're reading glasses. Okay, okay. So my number five is an episode of the show MASH. And it's a season nine episode, uh, so it's quite late in its run, and this was when a lot of people started to turn on MASH, because it gradually went from uh, from comedy to just straight-up drama, like it just kind of dropped all pretense of being funny after mm. its halfway point, which I think was actually fitting. Anyway, uh, so in one of its later seasons, it has a very dramatic episode <clears throat> called Death Takes a Holiday, and this is... Uh, it's a very, very sad episode. It's about – there are two kind of storylines that are going on. One is something we kind of always seen before, which is uh, the kind of Scrooge of the uh, 4077th campsite, which is uh, Winchester at this point. Um, is Everybody's going around taking donations for one of the Korean orphanages uh, near where they are, and <laughs> – Winchester, true to his nature, donates a can of caviar. <laughs> it just seems like the most, you know, like assholeish move because you know he's very elitist and whatnot. Um, and so everybody, of course, is making comments about him. And then we find out <clears throat> at the end of the episode that, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end of the episode that that's what he was doing publicly. But he was the one who actually volunteered to drive uh, all the donations over there because then he also added his own, like, he had, like, boxes of, like, chocolate and whatever, and somebody finds out about this, and which is what, another side character, and presses him on it, and he said it's it's an annual tradition for him back home when he wasn't in the war to donate to charities around Christmas time, and specifically orphanages, but you have to do it anonymously because otherwise there's no point to the charity. So it was kind of like he was actually just hiding it because that was part of his tradition because hmm. he didn't want the credit for doing it, whatever, and he thought it would make him look more, like, entitled, you know, because he's not a very nice person year-round, so it's like hmm. now he's just going to, like, flag that around. So it was a very touching moment, and because the other guy agrees to, like, kind of keep his secret and let people see him as this villain, you know, just because hmm. it's what he wanted. 
So that's the side plot, and that's a very Christmassy, Scrooge-type thing. What's happening in the main plot is very heavy. It's uh, it's kind of why I love it. It's um, a wounded soldier uh, gets brought in, and um, it's Christmas Day, like and where they are, obviously, and um, they perform surgery on him, and he's basically he's going to die. Um, it's just a matter of when. So then, B.J. Hawkeye and Margaret decide to stay behind because B.J., who's the family man of the camp, like he's the only one really that has a family back home. Everybody else is single or married to the military or whatever, uh, because he's not going to let him die on Christmas. Like he, they're just going to literally keep performing surgery just to keep him alive for a few more hours if it gets them past midnight. So that way they don't have to do the, you know, time of death, whatever. Hmm. And uh, true to MASH fashion, he does die. Like, they can't <laughs> prevent it. And then uh, against military regulations, Hawkeye just stands up and for BJ goes over to the clock and just pushes the arrows forward, you know, oh. and, and then walks out of the room, you know, and, and then BJ's, like, crying. It's, like, a very depressing hmm. holiday. But I, I love that, you know, sometimes every once in a while, and it's something I'm even dealing with right now, is where, like, things interrupt your holiday schedule. Yeah. You know, and you, and you can't prevent that kind of thing. But that also means that you can't – or not that you can't, but that also means that, you know, that's that's what the holidays are for, and like, as far as to try to distract yourself. And even if you can't, it's it's just enough that you tried. And I just love that that's what the, you know, the, the message of the episode is, so to speak. It's uh, certainly the most uh, – <laughs> downer ending of everything that I'm looking yeah like that's kind of the only like depressing Christmas thing but that's uh, I mean you know that's a very prevalent I think thing in a lot of Christmas fiction is uh, not having a happy ending because it's that's what you expect and then when you don't get it you know sometimes even the most existentially depressing things of, of media can often be contradictorily like the most life-affirming yeah like it's, it's way more comforting I think for me to like face those kind of hard truths in the face of something like Christmas, like not just like, you know, like just like when you, when you put it in that context. And I think that's why like an episode like this works is mm -hmm. that it just like it says, listen, you got to take the good with the bad because you're never going to have them separate, so to speak. And, yeah. and so that's, yeah, that's, that's why I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. So that was my number five was uh mash's uh, death takes a holiday. Nice. Okay. My number five is a season two episode of Futurama hmm. called Xmas Story. Yeah. One thing I love about Futurama, just simply for the fact that I'm a huge science fiction nerd, is that I love the comedic world building of this show. Like it, 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 it always is able to handle, like it, it, it throws, it's able to take whatever the times are throwing at it. Like whether it's in 1999 or it's in like 2007, it is always able to like riff off something and like make it into like a cohesive universe. And so this is, if you don't know, know the premise of the shows, like Fry is a guy who gets stuck in a time capsule, like a frozen time capsule and gets transported from 1999 to the year 3000, what, whatever, like, yeah. like the year 3000. And this is his first Christmas in the year 3000. <laughs> and he works for a delivery company and he's like, okay, we have to deliver uh, presents to the Newtonian so that Santa can like get them to the people. And I was like, oh man, we get to meet Santa Claus. Like, oh no. 
you don't want to meet Santa Claus <laughs> because Santa Claus in the year 3000 is a creation by the friendly robot company in order to like fill the void of, of, of the fact that Santa Claus does not exist. But because of a programming error, like he becomes a homicidal maniac for anyone who is on the naughty list and everyone is on the fucking naughty list. So people barricade their homes in fear of Santa Claus every night who drives, who, who just like flies around. On the, on the sleigh with a machine gun and just like throwing grenades at people and shit like that. Obviously, like chaos ensues and it's just like it, it's it's wonderful because the only person who actually gets a gift in the episode is Zoidberg who consistently gets shat on for the entire series. Like all of you have been bad except for you, Zoidberg. You get this and he gets like a pogo stick. But I love this episode for a lot of reasons just because it shows a. An important part in Fry and Leela's growing relationship with one another is like they're not necessarily dating, but they're still trying to like court one another. Uh, I love the opening caption. All the opening captions for Future Mom are great, but this one happens to be based on a true story, yeah. which is just <laughs> just trying to wrap my head around that. It's just like, oh my god, this is terrible. Hey, it, it could be true. It could be true. We, Who knows? We wouldn't know until we get to that year. Yeah, we won't know. Uh, yeah, just like uh, Back to the Future. Hopefully, yeah. um, we're gonna have Futurama Day. But it also has my. One of my favorite lines from any character in Futurama where it's just like somebody lies to Robot Santa and he's like, you dare lie to Santa? I'm going to be shoving coal so far up your chimney you're going to be coughing up diamonds. <laughs> I'm just like, holy shit. So, yeah, that would be my, my number five Xmas story. Oh, my God. That's great. Yeah. That's good. Go ahead. Were you going to say something, Nick? No, I, I wasn't. I, I just, like, opened my mouth to let air out. <laughs> uh, it just things. looked like I was going to say something. Yeah. The kind of things that happen on a podcast. Yeah. Like, oh, boy. <laughs> Move right. away from the mic to breathe. Yeah. Just had too much in there. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> All right, so moving on to number four. Uh, this is one that I definitely wanted to include on my list, and I went out of my way to make sure it got on my list, <laughs> even though it is not necessarily a... Uh, a, a Christmas film that has a, a story that centers around uh, themes of Christmas, but it was one that definitely had to be on my list, and that is Die Hard. I of figured course. that was coming. Oh, yeah. Of course. Um, I just love the original Die Hard. I actually really just dislike all of the sequels. I don't really care for any of them. All of them? Mm -hmm. Not even Live Free and Die Hard? Oh, come on now. <laughs> You're right. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm just kidding. It's terrible. That one's horrible. And all, actually, all of them are very bad. The first Die Hard, though, there's just something about it, uh, just about the the way that it plays out, the fact that they are in a penthouse the entire time. Uh, there's murders happening. There's these villains who are like the most stereotypical European villains ever. Alan Rickman's there for some reason. Alan Rickman. He's playing a character named Hans Gruber. Uh, can't get better than that. I know, and I, I believe, if I, I'm not mistaken, Hans Gruber is the name of the guy who composed Silent Night. So I <laughs> love that there's that relation wow. uh, between that and the name of his character that's just so ridiculous. Um, and I feel like this is this is like not necessarily the start, but this is a really an early on action film of these action characters that are basically indestructible that we see today as commonplace, like the characters in the Furious, the Fast and the Furious series, or something like that, where John McClane just is just like just just destroyed by the end of the film, like he's bleeding out, he's been shot, crawls through glass. I know he's he's just been 
getting beaten up. He's been getting punched. He's been doing all this throughout the entire film. One might say it's hard for him to die. That might be what they were going for. I don't know. I I don't know. It just came to me. It's difficult to expire. Yeah, they're they're just like, I could just imagine like four dudes sitting around a table, like trying to come up with a title. And they're like, so how do we say it's hard for him to die? What about die hard? That's right. Fuck. Die hard. Now it's a franchise. Give that guy a raise. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Unfortunately, that's probably how it went down. (laughs) But uh, yeah, and I love that they're at a Christmas party. And it's all these like horribly behaving white adults that are at this Christmas party. <laughs> I love that sentence. Yeah, horribly hey, behaving white adults. Some of them are ethnic. Well, <laughs> they're they're all cheating on their spouses who also happen to be there at the party. Some of them do, and it's just, um, it's it's great. And there are just so many great lines that I'm not even going to to you know go out and start just listing them off because there are a lot of really good ones in this film that aren't like great but they're just small little lines that i just always eat up every single time i put the film on and there's christmas rap yeah because <laughs> what's the name leon is that the, the limo driver no I think, no i don't think it's leon i is forget it? what his name is but, but isn't um he's listening to like christmas like it's not just rap it's christmas rap which is yeah kind of hard to find if you really think about it as far as like is that really a, a big subgenre? <laughs> actually yeah there is i didn't know that there's a lot of christmas rap well, is there really do. a lot of christmas rap yeah i'll send you an article please do really i, I would be interested in listening to, i mean I, not that i didn't think it existed or anything like that but yeah Hmm. Kanye West came out with a Christmas song I in 2010. He, I, I didn't know that actually. I knew that was like the only like rapper I could think of that uh, that released a Christmas. Yeah, Yuletide. Uh, An- another thing tape. that's great that isn't necessarily Christmas related is that um, Carl Winslow from Family Matters yeah. is the uh, <laughs> the police officer who comes and aids uh, John McClane. God, and, oh. and in the BoJack Horseman Christmas special, he, uh, they're talking about that, and he's like, "Yeah," and he's playing the same character from Family Matters. So, like, it's then Project is like, "No, it's a different city." He goes, "Yeah, he's undercover." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh. Anyway, yeah, but it's it, this film really has nothing to do with with Christmas other than happening at Christmas time. But you know what? It, for some reason, just it's just enough to make me in the mood to watch Die Hard in December. And it's also it, it's nice to break up this list for me. And also, it's nice to break up if you're watching Christmas movies or holiday movies or holiday TV specifically for yeah. three weeks in December. It's nice to throw on Die Hard and have get a, a little great, monotonous. Yeah, yeah, have a, a little bit of a you know, action that really has no point to it. And it's just great. Uh, the, the guy who, when they open up the elevator, he's got the sign on him. Oh man, that's great. That's good stuff. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. So yeah, Die Hard. Not too much else to say about it. Cause it's just an action movie. That's fucking kick ass. It's never, never even heard of it until you brought it up. So I'm, I'm going to have to seek it out. <laughs> unfortunately spawned many a sequel. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. But you know, Tim, Timothy elephant's got to work somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. Isn't he on that television show now, or did I get canceled already? Justified? Yeah. No, well, it, it ran for six seasons. Did it really run yeah. for six seasons? It's, it's one of those shows that runs in the background of your mind. I want to say, is a like, White show. Collar. I, I, I thought he was on a new show, though. I'm sorry. A new show? Oh, he was just in a guest starring role, like oh, a cameo okay. role in uh, The Grinder. Oh, okay. Um, which is the new Rob Lowe show, but yeah. Hmm. No, yeah, Justified ran for six seasons, and okay. it's one of the best shows of the past five years. Oh, very yeah, good. Anyway. The more you know. That's yeah. right. All right, moving on to Nick and his number four. Well, let's see here. Okay, so my number four is an episode of a show called 30-something. Do you guys know what 30-something is? 30 
<laughs> no, 30-something is the name of the show. Okay. No. Uh, okay, so I guess I should somewhat explain it, but it's essentially what Girls is now, uh, 30-something was in the 80s, oh. because uh, not because it's the same subject matter, but it's centered around a bunch of uh, 30-something white people uh, who had very yuppie-like problems, like, you know, they were kind of entitled, and all the episodes were like existential eggs, like, but I don't have a purpose in life, and... A lot of people... Uh, Pass the butter. Yeah. Uh, Rick and Morty reference. Yep. Yes. Um, and it was one of those shows where, like, back then, some critics loved it and some hated it. Like, there was no middle ground. You either got annoyed by these people's problems week to week uh, or you were just so engrossed by it because it actually felt more real life because they were just these very simple problems and hmm. i'm a fan of the show and uh their christmas episode is a uh, one of my favorite episodes of the show that it ever produced and that's because i love the way it actually tackles uh what it means to celebrate a holiday so essentially the plot description of the episode is that the one of the main characters michael uh He's married to Hope, and they have a new baby, and their baby is going to be celebrating its first Christmas. And Michael was raised Jewish, and so at first it looks like it's going to enter the whole, like, well, are we going to lean more on the Jewish side of tradition, or are we going to really do a whole mixture if we don't really... And Hope rightfully points out to her husband that, like, you never even went to temple, and you never, like, I don't understand why this is coming up now, just because we're now facing this. Like, I thought we were going to just do a Christmas thing, and, and I love that the episode never once actually gives him a valid reason as to why he really is adamant about this, because, like, it doesn't all of a sudden show you the flashback of when he was a little boy in temple, and, you know, and, like, something profound happened, and he never told anybody, or anything like that. Like, it, it for me, this episode just does a great job of, like, sometimes you can't really explain what it is about whatever holiday it is you celebrate you just need it to be there so Hmm. to speak and i I love that the episode addresses that and then never answers that and um you know it's like if love means never having to say you're sorry then like celebrating you know christmas or hanukkah should mean never having to prove why like it's just it's just something that should always be there and it's a very cheesy ending because it ends up that uh you know she just basically stops fighting with him and just buys a menorah and surprises him when he's coming home with the Christmas tree. So it's like they both meet in the middle, and that's what they always should have done in the beginning. And I think that's kind of why people hated the show. It's like they're very easy solutions, but I feel like that's what makes it realistic. People fight all the time about the stupidest shit. And hmm. uh, and so, yeah, it ends with a great Joni Mitchell Christmas song, uh, River, which is one of my favorite Christmas songs. And hmm. just a really good pastiche of everything that I love about uh, celebrating the holidays without making it more important than it is. Because even though they're having a religious debate, these aren't spiritual or religious people and so i i just really really uh dig that depiction of it so my number four was uh the episode itself is called i'll be home for christmas uh from 30 something okay okay so my number four is arnold's christmas from hey arnold (laughs) hey Hey arnold was move it football head move it football head yeah that was one of the defining cartoons of my youth um I still reference it to this day, and someday it's just gonna it's gonna really just show my age when I'm talking about like Carnival Days and other shit like that. But I don't care because okay. that shows the shit, and yeah. kids should watch it nowadays anyway if they can. Yeah. Um, this one particularly, like I've seen a lot of Christmas special episodes 
and I, I guess you can you can tell up till now like I'm a really big fan of animation, but this one really touches home for me just because it's still very heartwarming even looking back on it because the whole premise of Hey Arnold is like there's this kid named Arnold who lives in the city called Hillwood, which is very much an amalgam of like Boston and Portland and, and New York and stuff, right? It's the eponymous city, right? Yeah. And he lives in this boarding house with his – um, with his grandparents and they have like all these other crazy borders and adventures and other shit like that growing up. Right. And there's a secret Santa for this episode. And, uh, Arnold has to basically get a, a present for this guy, this border named Mr. Hume. And up until now, we didn't know anything about him other than like his, his riffs or whatever. Right. And I love like special episodes like for holidays that actually fill out and like have a role in the in the general continuity continuity of the show because I feel like it's just, it's it's more interesting that way. I don't have to like go out of my way to watch it. Right. And Mr. Hume, uh, like his backstory is that the whole reason why he's in the city is because he used to live in Vietnam and the reason why like he he's here is because he had to give his child away to survive the Vietnam War, which is the first time that <laughs> A real life event is ever referenced in that show, and that's when it got really dark. Like I didn't even know what the Vietnam War was, but the way that it was depicted, like in in the in the scant few like flashbacks, made it look horrible. Yeah, and it is horrible. Um, <laughs> and basically, the whole point of the episode is that Arnold is trying to be a good Secret Santa and help Mister Hume be reunited with his his daughter May. And so he's going across the entire night just trying to find any documentation on her, try to like connect them to. And in the background on the, 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 the B plot, you have Helga Pataki, who is Arnold's, like, childhood bully slash, like, love. unrequited oh, yeah. love interest. Crush. Who, yeah, crush. And she's trying to find, like, the perfect gift for Arnold to tell her how, how she feels while she's also trying to get these boots or whatever, right? And basically the entire, like, episode comes to a head where all of Arnold's leads, like, lead to a dead end. He can't convince the guy who can actually give him the information to give him the information. Helga, like, steps in without Arnold's knowing. And basically she's been waiting this entire episode to get this pair of, of boots that everybody wants, right? And she, she's got them. She got the last pair in the city, apparently. <laughs> and the only way to get that information is for her to give those boots to that guy so he can give it to his daughter. <laughs> and she does that. And at the end, like they're fine, like Mr. Hewen and his daughter are finally reunited, and Arnold's friend Gerald is just like, "Yeah, maybe you have like a guardian angel or something." And like outside, like Helga's like, "Merry Christmas, Arnold." And I was like, "Oh my god!" Oh, so she never even gets to tell him. She either. never even gets to tell him. It's like it's that's, it's that's it's good. not it doesn't even matter. It's like yeah. as long as he's happy, then that's that's what matters. I'm just like ah. Uh. That sounds vaguely familiar, and I say that because <laughs> I watched Hey Arnold yeah. all the time. Uh, and it was a show that certainly did bring up, I would just, not all the time or anything like mm -hmm. that, but, like, that would, like, just completely go serious, like, on a dime without real, like, any, yeah. any forewarning. But it was able to, like, do that while also kind of retaining this this optimism about yeah, it. Yeah, I like sure. I like that about that show. So that would definitely be one of my favorite, like, Christmas episodes of all time. You should definitely check it out if you can. Did you not hear about the uh, – there's there's a new channel coming out that's, like, 
Nick in the 90s. Like, it's like a channel yeah. devoted exclusively to only rerunning things like Hey Arnold, all that. And, yeah. You know, just all that. Better have some Ah Real Monsters on there. They better have some so. fucking Ah Real Monsters. Are You Scared of the Dark, I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, all of that. The, the Amanda Show, which would be really awkward to watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We can, we can all look back on that. Yeah. Oh. Like, oh, there's... So that's where the coke addiction started. <laughs> right there, right, right in that skit. Yeah, I, I <laughs> With the flower. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So that's my number four. Awesome. All right. Well, we're halfway through and uh, moving and into the. We're halfway home. Oh, leave it on a prayer. Okay. We're gonna leave that uh, in the intro. I think that's a that's a good one. As you two no, sound just clapped. Yeah. I know that is that what we were doing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll do it again. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, good. Great. Love the content on here. It's always the best. <laughs> yep. Moving on to my number three is the uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol. <gasps> oh man. Yeah. I know that I've Nick, heard of this one. I know Nick, you were you were struggling a little bit because uh, <laughs> I know you had only TV, but I know this is the one movie that you were thinking about wanting to get. On your I best. was like, basically, I was deciding whether I was going to do five TV shows and the Muppet Christmas Carol, or just do all TV. And yeah, because the Muppet Christmas Carol is amazing. It is, especially on the uh, on the new edition where they cut out that horrible no, song in the middle. That's of That's not what's amazing about it. And everybody, <laughs> when you watch it, you should watch it with uh, that song intact. What song is that? It's uh, it's it's a musical number. I think it's the called movie. "The Love We Found." I yeah, believe, because is the name of let me just song. before you go into what's good about the movie, because I I, I trust you with that. Uh, and we we have argued about this song in have, the past and, too, which is great and and many I'm, times. And I'm right because <laughs> no, you're not when you cut that song out and Michael Caine <laughs> at the very end has you know got over got over his scrooginess and he sings uh, the the refrain. He is directly referencing that chorus and it makes no sense if you don't have it uh there because it's tied into his like you know his tra- like but tragic kids kids were crying in the theater because they were so bored <laughs> well guess what guess what tell them to suck it up okay <laughs> christmas is not for kids it's for adults wow <laughs> Uh, are you are you referencing uh, that whole like tirade about like the Marvel Cinematic Universe? No, it's not. Somebody actually like like <laughs> like did that where they they posted this whole spiel as just like get out of the way, kids. This uh, isn't for you. This is for the people who read those comics like back in the day. I was like, bruh. Are you serious? No, but that's that's the thing though is that I really quickly, if I'm gonna like genuinely defend that scene, mm-hmm. look at the Muppet Show. I mean that the, the the like the Muppet property. This isn't Sesame Street. Like the Muppet property specifically, it's always been aimed at children with an adult sense of pathos. So that's why for me that song is not out of place. I mean, I get that that's not going to be the kid's favorite scene, but the, the idea that they, I mean, that's what they used to do was uh, in the Muppet show was they do a lot of funny sketches. I and mean, then all of a sudden they would just drop a song like, uh, Kermit's little cousin singing halfway down the stairs, which is like a song about an existentialist crisis. I mean, you know, the, the Jim Henson has always been uh, a sentimental guy in that sense. Well, so that's why it just makes no sense. If we're, we're going to argue about the, the song being being there or not being there, um, I think the, one of the problems with it, and not that only that the song is boring, which is totally valid because it is kind of out of place for some of the other songs that are in the film that are kind of catchy where that one's just kind of there. Um, also, I, I think the issue is that that um, version of Scrooge and, and the girl who I always forget her name, 
uh, that he is courting yeah. or that he's living with or married to. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what their relationship yeah. is, but they are together and talking about their further relationship and that right. how the song goes that it ends. He's with getting them. busier, busier with work, and, right? Yeah. And she's wanting to have a family and yeah. have children, and then he basically sends her away, and that's how that whole song plays out. But I think the problem with it though is that. It's the younger Scrooge and this girl we know nothing about, and they have this three-minute-long scene. So if you're kids, not not only are you not able to like sing along with this or be interested in the song, but it's these characters who aren't Muppets who you have no interest in. And it, it is a little bit out of place in terms of who is in it and the kind of song it is. But yes, I, I do actually agree with you that it makes no sense and at the end, because they do sing that. And it's like the, the ending scene, it's not like... Like five minutes later, it is the ending scene of the yeah. film. So, and not only that, but and I'm not like it's not my favorite song in the movie. So I'm not defending it from like an artistic standpoint. But one thing also is that when you watch the cut, where it's so noticeable that like here we're gonna go, ah, ah, just kidding, we're gonna go right back to this scene. Like, yeah, because it's so I, awkward. It, it was not done. It was like a George Lucas moment yes. where it was not done very well onto the, the Blu-ray. Like the camera like starts like yeah until the Blu-ray where I feel like they smoothed it out. Like there was more of a fade in. Yeah, out. but like I remember the original cut, which I think was on like the original either special edition DVD or maybe the VHS. I don't remember. Um, although one of them had the original version intact. Mm-hmm. But the, when they first made the cut, it was like the camera was just panning right or something. And then like, it goes to Gonzo crying, yeah. and then it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> Why is, is, is he on antidepressants? <laughs> So, yeah, so anyway, it's just so awkward to remove it. Or So anyway, but yeah. what's good about The Muppet Yeah, Christmas there's a Carol? lot to like about The Muppet Christmas Carol, <laughs> other than the great uh, memory of my brother Jason taking me to see it when I was uh, a little kid. Aww. One, one, of the, one of the first films I remember seeing in the theater, so that's uh, something always to, to think about. And I, I don't even necessarily want to say that it, w- it was... Um, the best, even though I think it's my favorite film that involves the Muppets. Um, but I think it's the, the most well done of any of the Muppet films, even including the original Muppet movie, just because it's going off of a story that everybody knows for the most part and has been done many times, way too many times, actually. Yeah. Uh, and that is the Charles Dickens Christmas Carol story. But it, it just it's using the Muppet characters and making just home run choices with almost every character and who they're going to be playing, whether it be Gonzo playing uh, Charles Dickens, Charles Dickens yes. leading people through the stories, um, Kermit playing Bob Cratchit. I mean, there, there are some obvious choices, but then some that, that aren't as obvious and uh, it's great. And I, I just really love a lot of the, the choices they make and a lot of uh, the way they use the characters, because I think um, Gonzo, the way he is in this film is why I like him so much because he's hilarious in this film as is, is. Rizzo the rat. Who's his companion. It's, throughout the film. It, the, that's the thing about the Gonzo character who I love in the Christmas Carol, but it's also, it's a very different departure from what he started out at, like in the Muppet show and all Cause he used to be like a, like a, he was called Gonzo because he was this weird freak show, like, art, uh, whatever, that he used to do, like, these stunts that were, like, made no sense and yeah. whatnot. Like, he, st- like, he still he, is he, now, too. Well, he is, but he turned into more into, like, Evil Knievel. Like, just, like, look at the ridiculous. Like, he used to do weird things, like, balance tomatoes on, the, you know, like, whatever, <laughs> because it was art to him and whatever. Yeah. So I, I do love this kind of reshaping of that character. And, yes, he is hilarious. I mean... 
and not only that, but then saddling him with Rizzo as like basically the two of them go through Rizzo. Because I love that he gets to guide the audience, but then Rizzo gets to question it every step of the way, and it, that's just very entertaining. Personally, I also think that this is Michael Caine's best performance, which is like a very controversial statement, maybe. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, uh, but the only reason why I say that is because besides the fact that I think it's just a very good performance, like he both can do the dramatics. Uh, well, it's not really meant to do comedy in this movie. He's really just doing the dramatic role. Yeah. Um, he can also, I think, sing as far as like he carries the tune. Uh, but also, this is such a, a an elaborate production as far as like the sets that they made and all. Like it's mostly Muppet characters. I want to say there's only like a dozen or so humans, and mm, besides yeah. Scrooge, yeah. the rest of them don't even really show up that often. Well, there there are a lot of um, there are a lot of like community scenes where there are humans, right? And that is the other thing is that there are humans always interacting with Muppets. And it's right. like they're just other people. Yeah, but that's what I love about his performance, particularly because he is the most one of the most convincing, I think, Muppet actors as far as working alongside the Muppets. Because there's so many times when it, like, especially like on the Muppet Show, it totally worked for the show, but it always felt like they were like side eyeing side eyeing the Muppets. Yeah, sure. Like, oh yeah. But like he he gets into that role so well that I genuinely believe he's talking to uh, these creatures and not like puppets and whatnot. Well, yeah, because a lot of times you'll you'll see like a character who's guest star in the Muppets show or yeah. or even a person in the movie be like, oh, like a cameo, I, yeah. I, I love you guys. And even yes. though you know he's he's heard of the Muppets or whatever, right. you still when he says, Oh I love you guys, oh I love you puppets that are yeah. talking. This is great. <laughs> but I, I, I will agree that I don't necessarily know if it's his best performance, but I feel like for what Michael Caine is as an actor, he's utilized really well in this. Because, I guess I would say more is my favorite performance. Yeah. Like best would be like a strong word to use, so to speak. But yeah. Well he is is great because he can do his kind of cheery Michael Caine isms type thing, but he also has a whole nother like version of Michael Caine that he plays, which is like the sinister, creepy Michael Caine, which Unemployed <laughs> If you please, Mr. Scrooge, it's gotten colder. Yeah. And the bookkeeping staff would like to have an extra shovel full of coal for the fire. We can't do the bookkeeping. Yeah, all of our pens have turned to inksicles. Yeah. Our assets are frozen. How would the bookkeepers like to be suddenly Unemployed? I think he does really well with yeah. that and, and, and kind of bringing both together in this film, which is great. And also, uh, there's a little uh, Easter egg for you when they're uh, walking through the end of the, uh, doing the, one of the final songs when he's become the happy version of uh, Scrooge and he's going through to Bob Cratchit's house. They uh, go by a, a building in the town and it, uh, the name of the uh, business that there is uh, Michael White's, which is uh, Michael Caine's actual last name. So. <laughs> That's yeah. fun. The the uh, Here Comes Mr. Scrooge uh, song and like the sequence itself is one of my favorite musical moments in any musical because between the fact that I think the song itself is catchy, like just the editing and like the production of like you know it reminds me of like. Uh, uh, the opening to Beauty and the Beast, Bell, like when you're going through in a town while you introduce a character, and there it's I think it's, that's a great song as well. But like we're taking that to a next step because now we have like real like artifacts that are like actually moving and whatnot, and I, I just love the way that the whole thing is presented. Well, and also too, um, and this is going back to Gonzo and Rizzo, is that I absolutely love how self-aware they are within the story, where they are 
where they're actors in the story, but they're also narrating. So especially Gonzo is aware of what's going to happen next. So he's like narrating what's going to happen and saying how things are going to happen. But at the same time, he's involved in the story, which is really bizarre. Yeah. Like, and I also love his refusal to break character. Like Rizzo <laughs> will continually be like, wait, you're not Charles Dickens. And he'd be like, no, yeah. yeah. Like, and so I love that, like that running gag. And um, also maybe the most inspired Muppet casting is, uh, uh, I forgot, but Statler and Wardorf as the Marley brothers. Like, that's one of those things where before you see the movie, yeah, you could guess it, but you might not be thinking that. It, but then the minute you see it, you're just like, oh my God, like the Muppets were born to tell the story just because of this alone. Well, when I was a kid, I was like absolutely horrified of when the, uh, oh. no, not, not of that, uh, none of that scene. Oh. Marley and Marley. Oh yeah. No, of, uh, when the, uh. The, the door um, yes. turns into his face. I yes. was like, oh my god, what happened? That is one of the creepiest things, even to this day. Like, I personally, I'm not going to, like, jump or anything, but, like, yeah. it, it's such an unsettling thing to find in a, in a children's Especially production. with early 1990s <laughs> editing happening. Yeah. It's just this Muppet becoming out of a door, yeah. and you're like, whoa! Yeah, yeah. and whereas today it would be CGI, and it would look awful. Like, <laughs> But, like, rewatching it now, and, like, it, it's just one of those things where it's, like, it's it's aimed at children, but it never once condescends to them, and that's that's what I love about it. Well, I, 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 I'm sure there's a lot more we could say, and I think maybe if we're, <laughs> we're still doing this uh, next year, hopefully for many years after that. I we'll, would love to do a Muppet Christmas Carol. I would, yeah. too, because uh, there's all kinds of little things about it that I would love to even talk about. Only if about. we're going to talk about the original version. God. The original <laughs> Yeah, if you can dig up the old VHS of it and find that version somewhere. Or the full screen DVD. <laughs> the, the wide screen, no, seriously, the wide screen has the cut, but the full screen of the same edition, the, I don't know why that happened. Maybe it was like an assembly, like they just weren't paying attention to the full screen. Maybe uh, they were like yeah. using the version that was on VHS or something. I don't know. So, yeah, anyway. Uh, it's very, That's very unfortunate. odd. Yeah. yeah. There was something weird with that, too. Like that the um, the song wasn't included in the theatrical release in the actual theater, but it was on the video. Like I'm remembering yes. something weird. Like, like it didn't that. actually make it to theaters that way. So yeah. that's why when I say the original version, I'm mostly just being a stickler. But <laughs> um, but be- yeah, because it it uh, it was supposed to be, and that's where I was talking about where it did not do well test audiences. Like right. they decided to cut it out, which is probably where there was that horrible transition in it because. <laughs> Back in the '90s, they're like, "Oh my God, get the scissors and cut that shit out of there. We don't, we don't want that." There's a story behind this. Hunt the truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the uh, oh, also, I really want to plug uh, the Blu-ray because if you buy any Muppet Blu-ray and including this, whatever, it's the most adorable thing ever when you pause a Muppet movie because they actually talk. Like, you'll pause the movie and then, like, Kermit will, like, after two minutes, like, walk out on the screen and go, oh, are you still here? Did you, did you want to press play? And and, it, oh and, and they have, like, I swear, it's, like, five to seven minutes worth of material. Like, I could just watch that for, like, a good 15 <laughs> minutes and not get bored. So, I don't, I'm just, I, that sounds like a plug, but I just genuinely get tickled every time I do pause it to go do something or whatever. That is so awesome. It I've is. never encountered anything yeah. like that. It's yeah. adorable. Well, it's how the Muppets used to be back when they were fun. That's back right. In, back in the early days and in the 90s and That's now right. they're... They're not quite that fun anymore, but that's no. okay. I think one day, well, we'll see. Well, yeah. <laughs> you just pause. Let's like, not get too excited. Nah. <laughs> All right, so the uh, Muppet Christmas Carol is my number three. Let's move on to Nick. <laughs> okay, so my number three, this is the one I might have to explain somewhat before I even get to like why I love it and whatnot. But, so there is a show that aired in, uh, in, in Britain um, called... Knowing Me, Knowing You, with Alan Partridge. And Alan Partridge is a character played by Steve Coogan. 
Uh, and it, the character of Alan Partridge spanned different properties. Like he first started, the character himself was on a radio broadcast, a fake radio broadcasting show where it was like a spoof of. Think of like something like Weekend Update for like SNL, but like in radio form. And hmm. then he moved into like actual on TV uh, onto I believe the Day Today, which was a, a fake news uh, show and whatnot. Then he finally. Steve Coogan as Alan Partridge finally got his own show and it was called Knowing Me, Knowing You and it was a very short six-run series where it's just like he – it was a parody of like lame talk shows so to speak but the show itself – is the talk show like you, it's not like the Larry Sanders show or something like that where you're seeing the behind the scenes you only see what's happening as it's happening on the show and it's taped with a real studio audience too so they're laughing both at the jokes that are in the show but also just like at Alan Partridge the character it's a, it's very it's almost meta without actually breaking a fourth wall because if you were to turn it on and you didn't know what it was you could easily mistake it for a real talk show that's just really bad because that was <laughs> part of the point was that Alan Partridge the character is a horrible horrible human being he's <laughs> sexist he's racist he's very dumb he's um it's just he insults his guests frequently but doesn't realize it. He also is narcissistic even though he has a, a horrible career. Like He's just like every worst trait that you could possibly think of, which is why the show is so funny because he's the last person that should be hosting a talk show. So after six episodes, he got to come back. Uh, Alan Partridge got to come back and do a Christmas special. And <laughs> there are like three shows in the world that like I don't want to watch with other people because I laugh too hard at them that I would not like want to be embarrassed I don't feel that. comfortable when you see me like this. <laughs> it's pre- like it's like that's like my animal side comes out and I just laugh too much. <laughs> and for me it's like the Larry Sanders show the thick of it and knowing me knowing you. And so his Christmas special because it's both it's it's just another episode of the show and because it's just holiday themed it just makes it even worse like that he's this horrible person and so in this show he basically he harkens back to like the old variety christmas special like when back in the 50s and 60s if you were just anybody you got a christmas special and like they used to make like fake living room sets and all Hmm. that so he did that for his christmas special and what's great about it is that it never stops being an episode of knowing me knowing you but there's also this really depressing undercurrent of pathos underneath it because for example uh the set itself uh is a he keeps reminding the audience that this is a mock replica of his living room <laughs> like it's not a fake <laughs> living room like this is this is it and whatnot and then later he pops in a tape to show uh the audience him running around his town and like going christmas shopping in his little uh small village and whatnot and and when it gets when he gets to his house he like stops the camera crew from coming in because he's like no no this is private whatever and and so he then and i'm I'm going to pay that off in a second, but so all these kind of things are happening. Then his guests, because he got to choose them, are like the BBC executive because he has them on his show just so that he can like basically beg to get a second series while he's filming the <laughs> taping of his own series. And all the while, he's um, there's actually a law in real life uh, that says that if you are commissioned by the BBC and you run on a, a show that runs on the BBC channel, you cannot advertise like during your show. You can't do product placement or anything like that and there's a running joke in this where he keeps plugging a car (laughs) and the executives keeps like staring at him like what the fuck are you doing and so just like he just keeps shooting himself in the foot even though he's so desperate to be like to be liked and to get a uh, a renewal for his show 
So by the end of this by the end of this special, he is essentially um I just want to list off some of the things that he has done over the course of this thing. He he is basically um He's at one point he accidentally hit a paraplegic. Um, he brings up masturbation accidentally uh, during an interview with a Christian fundamentalist. He's extremely homophobic whenever he talks to his band leader because his band leader brought his boyfriend with him to the set. <laughs> um, <just laughs> Not because he, he hates him, but just because he's pissed off that he brought his boyfriend. Yeah, there. and uh, at one point he even offers him something, and then he's like, "Oh no!" He's like, "Do you want something to drink?" He's like, "No." He's like, "Um." Does, did your friend want something? And he asks, you know, him and he's like, no. And he's like, okay, well, you tell him if he wants something to tell you, and you tell me if he wants. <laughs> and he's like, okay. And, um, so he just, he just, it's just a, it's a disaster of a Christmas special, so to speak. And then he accidentally sets his set on fire, and by the very end, he just starts like pleading to get a second. It's like he drops all pretense <laughs> of actually you know, hosting a special and he's like, D- please give me a second series. And then the, the BBC executive is like, um, we'll talk about this later. you know. And everybody's staying in character. And then it gets revealed that his wife has left him in between the taping of the series one and the special. That's also why he wouldn't let the camera crew into his house. And it also gives this weird way to pathos as to why he's recreated his living room here like and filled it with people that Aww. like don't actually like him. And then when basically the executive turns on him, he ends up punching him in the face. Um, and then like ha- he has a musical guest come out, starts singing this Christmas choir song, and the credit starts rolling, and the camera's just sitting on Alan Partridge as he has like a nervous breakdown in the background. And like it's just a man who ruined his own life and Christmas, and it is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. This <laughs> is this is peak Nick Cheney. It is. It is. Like, it's, like I, and I feel like I've ruined nothing too because even though you like just from knowing that you know the broad stroke, like the real gem of watching this show is just watching everything that Alan says like under his breath and whatnot, and 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 just. <laughs> his stupidity. I love when he tells the Christian girl that she's like, uh, um, please, if you're going to use that word, don't say that word. And she said masturbation. And she's like, oh, okay. And then she says something else. And I think it's like onanism or something. Yeah. And he goes, I'm sorry, what's that? Masturbation. I just said not to use that word. He goes, I know, <laughs> but you asked me what the word meant that you said, you know. And so anyway, he's just, it's just a delightful, delightful treat. And uh, how long is this episode? The episode itself, a normal episode of Knowing Me, Knowing You is like 30 minutes. This episode is like 45 minutes. So it, okay. it's like an elongated special, but it, I wouldn't say it overstays its welcome. And there's also plenty of other guests. At one point, Santa shows up and <laughs> um, he keeps calling him Mike. <laughs> he keeps, hey, yeah, Mike. Like he's trying to sell that this is Santa, but then he's like, Mike, Mike, come on. We, we need to wrap this up. And anyway, he's just, he's just, it's, it's like watching the world's worst talk show get his own talk show and it's it's fantastic hmm. so that is a, a an annual staple for me for from now on I, I only discovered it like last year but i i love it and it's and the special itself is called knowing me knowing you all <laughs> because he uh has horrible uh pun taste oh, good. so that's knowing me knowing you all with alan partridge good <laughs> All right, moving on to Dusan's number three. <laughs> okay, we are now firmly out of television country. We are now in film country. Yeah. Yeah. So my number three is Tim Burton's 1990 film, Edward Scissorhands, because oh. it is a Christmas film. At first, I thought you were going to say uh, Batman uh, Returns. That was... Because that was a Christmas movie, right? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It, it's, it's weird, because when I was deciding on <laughs> which film... I. Batman Returns was one of the first ones, and then I thought, I was like, well, what about that other Tim Burton film? Yeah. And then there's that other yeah. famous... He Christ- loves Christmas. Yeah, it was just like, he's one of those directors, like, for uh, at least a, a peak of his time, like, 
much like Shane Black, he kind of like found his muse somehow in setting his stories in the context around Christmas. Yeah. And I wonder why that is. I have to look that up. Maybe that's the recipe for his success. Maybe because Alice in the Wonder, Alice in Wonderland, wasn't set at Christmas time. That's uh, that's why it sucked. He's had yeah, he's had other good movies that weren't set around Christmas time. I know. I, I was know. Making he's, a joke. Yeah, he's just kind of spun himself. But yeah, you're right. Certain directors have things where they kind of decide to do certain things and revolve around certain places and themes and yeah, yeah Christmas is just uh, something with Tim Burton and obviously with Shane Black with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Iron Man 3 is his most sort of famous film. All so. of his films yeah. take place around Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's nuts. As they should. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway about Edward Scissorhands I love this film not only because I love the music I also love the production design I feel like this is a this kind of like brings me back to a time when I could stomach Tim Burton because I really do enjoy his aesthetic. I'm just not a fan of his shtick. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I yeah. like I like this this dark macabre like suburban fable that is actually about like accepting people who are different from you even though they came from a different place than you. Yeah. But I just don't like it when this this is back when when Johnny Depp could, could, could collaborate with Tim Burton and they brought the best out of one another. Yeah. Like he could deliver a very empathetic and very moving performance without having to be off the wall or zany or just like, or like I'm that weird guy that like j- jumped in a sock drawer and now like I'm homeless. Barely, or like can barely speak and just slurs every word because that's. I mean, I know that's what he was in the first Pirates of the Caribbean, but, but I feel that's like the so more attractive. The, the more those films went on, the more he just like stopped talking and just like actually moved into like territory. I'm a functioning alcoholic. Like, you, you need subtitles by the time the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that was uh, you know, him just being drunk on his own power in those films, yeah. like on screen and like playing the character. I was going to say, like, Johnny, I don't think you need to drink before this. No, I got to get into character. Well, okay. Johnny, I don't think you have to consume the entire screen. You don't have to be everywhere. It's like, no, I got to be there. Got to be everywhere. Look at me flip off his hat. Isn't that funny? <laughs> sure, why not? Actually, um, that was kind of funny. But <laughs> I, I really enjoyed Renault Ryder in this film just because this – Again, this brings me back to a time like in the the early '90s, like the '90s, yeah, when Beetle she was Juice. she yeah. was in the peak of her of her popularity yeah. of, of her. It always her baffles me because I feel like I, there's no real reason why she should have like died off as a star. But yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. Some she people robbed that store and just for some reason that was always before. followed her. That yeah. was that was so yeah. It, it's it's like what? No, I just said. I was going to say so something, but I forgot. Oh, okay. No, I, I was just going to say, like, for some reason, that always seems to follow her for some reason. And a, a lot of yeah. other celebrities have done things that are so much worse. That's what I mean. Like, it's so minute. It's, I know, it's, but it yeah. always comes up. Yeah. When you think it's not enough to, to kill a career, but yeah. Hollywood itself is such a fickle mistress. So It's yeah. true. Yeah. I feel, yeah. yeah she's, a, she's a really good, good actress. I also really enjoy... Um, just personally for me that the, the cameo from Vincent Price as the <laughs> inventor in this film, just because Vincent Price is one of my favorite yeah. personalities as an actor. Like I can't, I can't name a single film like where he might've starred because like he was really prominent in like the early black and white heyday of like horror, like, like, like setting up stuff, like being, being the narrator for those sort of things, kind of like a twilight zone vibe. But I just like, 
I like his voice. Vincent yeah. Price. I, I like the way he dresses. I like the way, way he commands. Got a bit of man crush going on. Yeah, I do. I got yeah. a man crush on Vincent Price. He's a cool dude. There's he this should. really random. Uh, and I think maybe I've brought this up before. I don't, I, don't, I don't think so, though. Well, if you have, we'll cut it out. Well, oh, thanks. <laughs> Damn. Dickhead. Um, Vincent Price, when uh, I was younger, I, I saw this a couple times as we recorded it, because that's how we rolled back in the old VHS days mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And Vincent Price hosted a, a special on roller coasters one time, and it was like the most bizarre <laughs> thing ever. Roller coasters. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like two weird worlds converging. I know. It was <laughs> it, it, like the, the... But I'm into it. I know. The, it, it, I'm it, into it. The, uh, the episode ended with him talking about this old wooden roller coaster that he loved, and he's like, I rode this many times, and... I was on it for the last ride it was ever going to go down, and it, it broke down on the top of the hill, and that's how the ride ended, with us walking down it. I'm like, that is a fucking Vincent Price moment <laughs> oh right there. God. Of course it did. Oh, man. Boy. That fucking guy. That that's, is spooky. <laughs> that's spooky. Yeah, yeah, Vincent Price, though, that voice, though, that is that is memorable. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, definitely. Well, you keep on asking me why why I talk in like old nineteen thirties voices because of well, people. We're concerned for you. It's, it's <laughs> shut the fuck up. It's because of people like Vincent Price, like me growing up and watching him. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. I don't know if that's a comforting answer. Shut the fuck up. Anyway. That's my number three, Edward Scissorhands. Right on. I didn't know. I've actually never seen Edward Scissorhands, so really? I did not know it was a Christmas movie. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that Christmas like played a part in it. At yeah. Least. yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, we're up to the uh, the top of our list. Uh, and my number two and my first two films will probably be a little more obvious choices uh, that other people may have picked too. But Brad Claus. Yes, that is uh, my number one. Oh, so, oh my god! Cats out of the bag. <laughs> Looks like we're unwrapping and peeking at presents early. Oh yeah. boy! Yeah, that was really nice. Well, I like I liked how you did that. That was that was great. <laughs> that thing you did. It was cool. <laughs> Good. Uh, my number uh, two is Christmas Vacation. It's oh, uh... I don't know what that is. <laughs> are you for real? I'm for real. You don't know what Christmas Vacation right, is? Uh, is it National Lampoon? We are going to take a hour and a half break, and uh, <laughs> we'll be right back. We have to talk to Zusan and show him a movie. <laughs> I mean, you don't, you don't have to like it. National but... Lampoon's Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase? You don't, don't know, know what, what it is. this is. I, I I can see if you've never seen it, but like, I I know National Lampoon Vacation or something. I know it has Chevy Chase in it, but I didn't know it was Christmas Vacation. Oh. Well, there are multiple vacations. There's, okay, there's a regular vacation, a European vacation, a Vegas vacation, and a uh, a Christmas, Christmas vacation, and <laughs> a, a new vacation that came out oh, this year yes. that nobody needed to see, and they didn't. Nope. Um. But yeah, you've never heard of <laughs> just Christmas not Vacation. We're going to finish this episode anymore because this is just too much to take. I'm sorry. Okay, no, I, it's I, not about apologies. I was, apologies. I was, you should apologize. I was one of those kids that watched Little Rascals instead of The Sandlot. Okay, I had a very selective like no, palette no, of no. media. There, there's <laughs> a difference between I watched Little Rascals instead of The Sandlot and not knowing what fucking Christmas Vacation is. <laughs> Come on. You've never heard anyone say the shitter's full. <laughs> oh, boy. You've never heard that? Oh, my goodness. Well, we're going to show you that movie, and we're going to have the hap hap tap dance, damn Christmas, and Danny K tap dance. The, yeah. The Danny. Oh, boy. Oh, no. you, you're just barbecuing that. All right. You know what? Fine. We're going to be the happiest people ever. Yeah, we're going to be. Whatever it was. Yeah. And you talk about uh, 
Bing Crosby it's tap dancing with Danny, Danny fucking K. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's you've the, never. I oh my god. I don't wow. even like the movie. Yeah, much, <laughs> but like that astounds me. That uh, is it on Netflix. Is it on uh, Netflix? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, go to a fucking library, Tucson. <laughs> I, in, in, Turn on the TV anytime between now and goddamn December twenty fifth. <laughs> uh, to, to Nick's point of, uh, of there's a lot of people who don't necessarily like Christmas Vacation, but everybody's seen it or at least <laughs> and heard I don't of even it. Hate it or anything like that. I just yeah. want to put that on the record. Okay. Well, I guess I'm, that's going to be something I have to watch now. <laughs> you <see>. Anyways, <laughs> going back to what I the conversation I thought we were going to have. Yeah. No. Uh, uh, about so Christ- me and Alex are going to give our top two, and then we're going to just stop. <laughs> <laughs> Just pass over me. So back to Christmas. Vacation. Yes, uh, the film that everybody except for Toussaint knows about. Um, it, it's just Chevy Chase's best kept secret. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's go. Who is Chevy Chase to you? Then? Like, <laughs> who is Chevy Chase to me? Chevy Chase is that asshole from SNL and Community. Okay. okay. Yeah, man. I'm I was just trying to feel like if you don't have vacation as like your like. I was gonna say if if you think of Chevy Chase and something other than a vacation or Caddyshack comes up, you've done it wrong. Oh, he's the Fletch guy. Well, the lesser known uh, yeah. movie of his, but yes. yes. Anyway, I'm sorry. I so Christmas you. Vacation, though, <laughs> um, it, it may perhaps be the film I've seen the most in my life. I've probably watched it in the neighborhood of like 25 times from start to finish, other than the many times I'm sure I've caught it in between and watched some parts of it. And it's one of those things where I actually uh, had not watched it up until this year, uh, the last two years, because I had just I've just seen it too many times, and I I just cannot keep watching it because I know every single line and everything that happens on every beat. Um, but yeah, it, it's just so memorable for me for so many reasons. Whether it's watching it every year growing up, um, a lot of the just great things, including the the shitters full line. In fact, a lot of things that involve Cousin Eddie are, are, are memorable things from this film. Because yes, it's your really... mileage will depend on Cousin Eddie, I think, for all the vacation. Well, not that he's in it, but especially this one, because he shows up very early and he doesn't leave. Mm, I wouldn't say very early. Well, no, okay, not very, because he It's probably does... about halfway through. Right, but I feel like this is the most exposure to Cousin Eddie and Eddie and... The... Uh, Vegas Vacation is, is more Cousin Eddie, really? I believe, yes. Uh, and I hate that film, so maybe that's why. It's not, it's not very good. <laughs> yeah, um, forget about that, but I, I just remember rewatching it and giving it like a half star because i could not stand it for vegas vacation yeah. it's not good no uh but christmas vacation though uh is just a ton of fun all the way through there's so many hilarious moments that i even to this day just find absolutely hysterical and it, there's a lot of great lines that aren't necessarily like famous classic lines but uh like uh when uh, julia louis dreyfus who is one of the, the neighbor's wife or girlfriend, I remember who what it is, and they're very snooty, sort of anti-Christmas, that kind of thing. And uh, Clark uh, has the Christmas tree brought home because, of course, he forgot to bring a saw to the Christmas tree a lot, so he dug it out of the ground and is now... <laughs> With the roots. Is now uh, using the chainsaw to uh, cut the bottom off of the tree. And uh, the asshole neighbor goes, hey, where are you going to put that uh, in your house? He's like, bend over and I'll show you. He goes, you have a lot of fucking nerve saying that to me. He's like, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to your wife. Ooh, (laughs) shit. I actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's my favorite joke in the whole movie. (laughs) 
but like the rest of it is more like I love that rude humor. The rest of it's more like just crude humor. And mm-hmm. it's not, I'm not saying it's like pop or whatever, but it's not my. Yeah. And I think it is like you. I watched it every year when I was growing up, and mm-hmm. like probably two to three times a year or whatever. And I hadn't watched it in quite a few years actually until last year. And when I rewatched it last year, I was both shocked <laughs> by like how much I knew of it. Like even though I could barely remember, like when it. When, when I press play, I'm like, oh, this is that scene, yeah. whatever. And then also by how much of it doesn't play well if I know exactly – if I know it as intimately as I do. So I, yeah. I feel like maybe after a few years I might start to like it a little more. But I can understand. That's why, honestly, yeah. why I, I turned it off and left it off for a couple of years because yeah. it's one of those things where I've seen it so many times. I just can't can't even watch it really anymore and really enjoy it as much as I used to, even though I still do obviously love it. Um <laughs> But yeah, there are just a lot of little lines like that that are so memorable. Um, Cousin Eddie, too, and if you can not like him, but this is by far the best use of him in any of the vacation movies. I would agree. Because he just kind of shows up and he's... I don't want to say he's restrained, but if you put this up against Cousin Eddie in the first vacation and Cousin Eddie in Vegas vacation, he's a lot more like a just a really bad like human being. Right. Where he's almost playing like a caricature of a caricature in the other films. Well, not only that, but this is the context where it actually – the only context for me where it actually makes sense that he's still in the movie after five minutes. Because like when they visit him at his own place, I just don't understand why they even stay after they've like just gotten there. But here he cr- crashes their party in and, yeah. and the whole in the spirit of Christmas they let him you know come whatever and then they also play into some of his worst aspects for at least some kind of pathos like how he can't buy presents for his kids yeah and, you know so like there's enough there to make it salvageable that I don't like well find it irritating and also cousin Eddie and his family showing up is a very important part of the film because the entire <laughs> first part or first like I don't know like 40 minutes of the hour and 40 minutes of this film is really spent around getting ready for the Christmas celebration. And most of it is Clark trying to get the lights put up around the house, which there are some hilarious physical parts of that comedy that happened with that, including the, the ice that somehow flies through the neighbor's window because they're getting <laughs> yeah. shit on throughout the It's like a projectile thing. icicle, and it's like, wait, what? I don't even know how that happens. Yeah. Um, and then That's Clark... for you. Struggling to get the lights on. And finally, when he's like overcome this gigantic task of getting this like 10,000 Christmas lights He's to like light Sisyphus, up in his house. Uh, with Christmas lights. <laughs> oh God. But he finally overcomes this and gets the lights that's heard on. And it's this like the hallelujah is playing in the background and the whole family is there. And then fucking cousin Eddie shows up to ruin his Christmas. And Clark <laughs> is so disappointed, but yeah. that that is my favorite line of the whole movie. It's so it's right in that, that scene where just they like they come together. Then the actual like celebration of Christmas starts when cousin Eddie goes up to Clark and says, Clark, you look a little surprised. And then he turns to Eddie and says, Eddie, I wouldn't be more surprised if I woke up tomorrow morning with my head sewn to the carpet. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so stupid and ridiculous. And I eat every minute of it up because it's honestly so funny. And every little line that's delivered throughout the film and a lot of actions too. There are some things that are really stupid, like the uh, two minute scene that's somehow given to the, uh, thing where Clark uh, has the wax that's put on his sled and then he's flying through. <laughs> and it is like so overdone that it's like one of he, 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 he sits down on the sled it's like starts going and it's like a rocket ship. Yeah, thing. like flames are coming <laughs> off of its trail and it makes no sense whatsoever. I really want to watch this now. <laughs> you, you'll, 
It's he, something. He, yeah. he, he ends up in like a Walmart parking lot yeah. and like flies into a uh, into like a, a Christmas collection yeah. bin for uh, charity. Yeah, it's. Uh... <laughs> It is I really about a that. it, yeah, yeah, that's actually it is a very random scene because they yeah. they have to go outside of the house, which I'm not saying that they didn't have scenes, but like when they're going shopping or whatever, it made sense because they're all taking their little trips. But like I feel like we just cut to oh we're sledding now for no real reason other than just to look at this uh, fire. But yeah, if, anyway, this yeah. There it's, also is uh, some very concerning moments later in the film where Clark exhibits behavior of being a murderer. Because he goes from when, like, finally, like, the last straw has fallen and he he finds out that he uh, not only uh, Christmas is not only going its way, but also that he's not getting his Christmas bonus. Like, he absolutely loses his shit and, like, starts doing crazy things like carrying a chainsaw around the house (laughs) and... um, Let's keep in mind that it's Eddie who does the kidnapping. Well, that is true, (laughs) but Clark is doing other things that are absolutely very concerning if it was a human being. Like, like he's sitting in the bathroom, and he's got the chainsaw sitting next to him, and he just feels like revving it up then when he's talking to his wife. Doesn't he put on the the Jason hockey mask (laughs) at some point? (laughs) This is like turning from Christmas Vacation to like some weird like hybrid of, of, of Fargo and... This is a movie that ends with a SWAT team. Uh, it like, all falls down. Yeah, like this is a movie that ends with a SWAT team basically uh, going into the neighborhood, and um, I forget why they're even. Oh, they're, oh uh, because they kidnapped yeah, the uh, the boss who did. But I mean, like, I forget Christmas like why bonus. it's such a like. Well, because there's no he, reason for a SWAT team. Let's put it that way. Because he's from the very rich neighborhood, oh, and that's no. that they that that's an emergency because he's been kidnapped, and it's they know where he is. about the one percent. I know, yeah. Um, also, my two favorite uh, characters are uh, Aunt Bethany and Uncle Lewis, who are uh, just Bethany. Well, no, they they are like stereotypical old people to a T, and they they like can't hear. Uncle Lewis, the one with the the wig, yes, yes. And a cigar that he <laughs> takes off his hat and asks uh, Clark to put his hat away from him, and his hair stays in the in the hat. Uh, and, Classic. And Bethany thinks their house is on fire because of the Christmas lights. Oh <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of really. She, is she the one who wraps up the cat? Yes, she yeah. wraps up her she cat. Gives, she comes up with the present, gives it to the boy to like put under a tree, and you just hear this <laughs> meow. <laughs> Mom, I think she and Bethany wrapped up a cat. Okay, just take it up to your room and let it out. And Uncle Lewis is so crotchety throughout the entire the entire time. He's like screaming at Aunt Bethany and rolling his eyes at every single thing that she does. And you could tell that he just hates Christmas and also was ready to be dead. He's just so angry that he has to be there for this Christmas celebration. And he burns down their Christmas tree. And he's on fire then for some reason. And he's saying that their burned Christmas tree is an improvement. Uh, there's talk of the other father-in-law being an alcoholic. Like it, We get to see Clark's sexual fantasies about his pool. So why isn't this one of your favorites, Nick? <laughs> Because usually you're into pathos and just like... Well, I wouldn't say that the pathos isn't really earned or anything. It's a very schmaltzy Uh, uh, movie. And the comedy is very cartoonish, which is totally fine. It's just... uh, None of it for me. It's like like this. If if somebody's turning it on at a family get-together, I'll totally watch it. Like, it's not like an unbearable Christmas tradition. Like, for me, like, uh, a, a Christmas story is, because <laughs> I can't stand that movie anymore. Yeah, but you um, won't go out, go out of your way to make this a part of your no, routine. part of mine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I will, and then this yeah. was the first year that I actually sat down and, and watched it again, and I'm I'm, I'm happy to, to say okay. that I, I'm glad I took a couple years off, but, but came back, and uh, I, I 
love so many parts about this movie and, and the whole package works really well for me. And, and like most other Christmas comedies that are really, um, you know, ridiculous as it goes through, there are a couple actual like le- legitimate somewhat moments that aren't all comedy and they are serious, which are actually the one moment I like what I try is to be serious is the uh, Clark in the attic. Yes, that's yeah. the moment I was thinking But that's because it also doesn't, once again, it just lets his character shut up and, uh, you know, just see. Watch old Christmas movies yeah, I mean, while that's he's a, trapped in the attic. Yeah, it's yeah. a universal thing that doesn't need any, like, expository dialogue and it. It just works. And uh, that I, I agree with that. Uh, we also, we haven't mentioned uh, the wonderful opening credits. <laughs> of, oh, the like, cartoon? A, yeah, the, the cartoon Santa, like mooning the like the, there's just so many like broad jokes whether it's like santa like falling down or i i kind of forget but i just remember every time i watch it I'm like wow this is well he he comes down the chimney and breaks the chimney which yeah. is <laughs> like i just remember like this being way more elaborate every time i watch it i'm like oh i forget that this is like an actual animated short so to speak yeah like it's not just like random images yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of lot of great things with christmas vacation and i'm most people other than tucson who hasn't even fucking heard of it uh probably have seen this many a time and uh it's it's definitely something that's parodied a lot in a lot of other media and is mentioned a lot in media and even makes appearances in other films as mentioning to it and yeah so characters are watching it and, yeah 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 sure. so it's uh, definitely a classic and it's not even that old i mean it is as far as yeah it's from like the it, 80s yeah. right but i mean it feel like it's not like it's like a christmas classic the same way like something that like like it's a wonderful life like mm-hmm. it became this classic almost overnight so to mm-hmm. speak so yeah yeah well, that is my number two, and let's move on to Nick. All right. My number two is uh, is an episode of a show that I'm really not that big of a fan of. I obviously don't dislike the show because otherwise I wouldn't like the Christmas episode of it, but I, I, I almost hesitate to uh, pledge my allegiance, so to speak, for fear of being branded a one of the people that are fans of the show, but it is actually one of the Christmas specials of Doctor Who. What? Yes. Uh the uh the very first Matt Smith uh Christmas episode uh Christmas Carol. Wow. Is one of my all-time favorite like Christmas anything. I just think it's a it's it's yeah, like what you were saying earlier Alex about how like a Christmas Carol has been done to death in so many different ways. I I totally agree and a lot of them are bad. A lot of them are mediocre. Like, it's such an easy thing to do so that, like, even the worst ones are, I feel like, watchable because it's such a good story at its at its heart. Uh, but this is, <clears throat> besides the Muppets Christmas Carol, <laughs> my favorite iteration of this, mostly because it actually, like, I, I like the, how the Muppets, they kind of do it pretty straightforward. They're actually just telling the story like it is. They just substituted Muppets with, you know, the characters. Whereas this is, like, it takes the same framework of it, but it it... it marries it with Doctor Who's sense of, like, adventure and time travel elements. Like, since time travel is a part of the DNA of Doctor Who, they can kind of do some interesting things. Instead of there necessarily being ghosts, what happens is um, the Doctor finds himself on a strange alien planet. Of course he does. (laughs) Right. And um, he gets uh, involved with... He needs to get permission from a character played by Michael Gambon, I think. Hmm. Yes, I'm 99% sure it's Michael Gambon because they always get like a big British star to be in the Christmas specials. Um, 
And so he, he needs to get permission from him because he, that man is like a tyrannical, like Scrooge-like character, but he's also has like a very high position. Like he's either, I forget, because Doctor Who kind of, like all the exposition of Doctor Who goes in my ear and one out the other. Here's some words. Yeah. But I just love <laughs> that the story. So he needs to get permission from him because he controls the weather on this planet to like part the sky so that a spaceship can land safely. And if he doesn't, everybody on board on this spaceship, which they say is like from Earth and over 4,000 people, are are gonna die and so it's the doctor like goes in his uh, phone booth and goes there to confront him he's never met him before and of course he finds out that he's this very scrooge like person because it's like it's literally his response to what he says like i'm gonna need you to do your thing and let the spaceship come through and he's like why he's like because there are four thousand people on there that are gonna die if you don't and he goes oh and, like, you know, he, he just plays, you know, Michael Gambon plays like a good crotchety ass uh, very well. And what's kind of interesting is then the doctor, and, and true to the nature of a series, tries to always understand the human being behind uh, it instead of just trying to fight him. So you find out that his childhood, that the Michael Gambon character wasn't very good, and that um, he was beaten by his father regularly, and he also, his father hated Christmas, so that's why he's in a bad mood at Christmas. Mm -hmm. But it kind of takes a pretty interesting turn, because instead of doing, like, ghosts or whatever, Doctor Who, the show, is able to use the time travel element to, like, go visit his past. Oh. So it's, like, it's so natural for the show to tell a Christmas Carol story that it's surprising that it took them six seasons of the new series to even get to it. Christmas has always had a very special part in the recent the, – the contemporary Doctor Who continuity because no less than like two doctors, I think – no, it's like two or three doctors have actually been like launched. Yeah, like a, they get departed during the Christmas special. It, it's a time of and celebration and renewal. And that actually ties into – like one uh, that ties into the fact that obviously, like the the idea that Doctor is like a a Jesus Christ like figure, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's kind of why they coincide with that. But also because uh, it's a British tradition, which is why like two of my top three are British shows that actually British people love Christmas specials. Like if you get the Christmas special, then it means you were the sh it's like getting the show after the Super Bowl in America because mm -hmm. it's it's on Christmas Day that like like Downton Abbey pretty much has gotten the Christmas special uh for the last six years that it's been on because that's been the hot new thing. And I feel like they always air either one or two, but like um, Doctor Who is also so I feel like the last six years has been Doctor Who and Downton Abbey every Christmas. Uh, I think they may have did a Sherlock one recently, but if you look at all the most time honored British shows like Blackadder, Father Ted, uh, even Alan Partridge, they, they they got their Christmas special because at some point they were so at the top of the cultural zenith over there that mm -hmm. like they, it's like giving them the keys to the convertible and letting them you know get the coveted spot. Hmm. Um, so anyway, going back to the Doctor Who Christmas Carol, uh, another thing, one reason why I love this particular special is that I think that because Doctor Who is, I, it's hard to say this now, but I want to say first and foremost, children's programming, even though it's gotten away from that, it's what I'm, it started I'm not, at. I'm not even sure anymore. I think that it's... It's certainly it, evolved it's, from it's, it. It's, a, it's an involved, like, interesting science fiction drama until you run yourself into a in, into a corner and then it's a children's film. Right. And I think that's actually – that's one of the rules for me for Christmas media is that if you frame your – not frame your story, but if you're working in – the realm of children's entertainment, you actually have a higher success rate at being a good Christmas story, I think, than if you do something for me a dollar. That's why things like the Jim Henson's 
uh, projects like the Muppets or um, or even something I would have named in my honorable mentions uh, that's not a Muppet thing uh, or Doctor Who like all those are like Hey Arnold like mm-hmm. all those types of things I feel like are just so much better suited for the ideal and like phantasm of what Christmas means and whatnot that it's just such a natural fit so you know you have weird things in this like how it rains fish from the sky and just like all these like imagery that only children are really going to go with but that's why I love it because for the 60 minute special I just kind of put all that aside and just feel like a child all over again because I just go with the but it also has a weird not weird but like a a very adult sense of pathos one of the running uh, things in this uh, special is that the Michael Gambon's character he he basically he gets loans from a townsfolk like he gives out loans and when he when they can't pay their loans he takes a family member they have to choose which family member and he'll freeze them until until they're ready to pay and he'll just literally leave them and he's got like a whole storage unit full of just all these i don't i don't know what's worse either that or a debtor's prison yeah again that's what he does or whatever but then you find out that um he is actually and this is like really because Doctor Who episodes are very convoluted, but he's a, he's essentially he's in love with one of the people that he has locked up down there. Who, and what happens is that he also finds out that that person before he froze that woman before he froze her has an ill like an illness that will kill her pretty soon. Like she found out she had cancer or something like that. So he doesn't want to let her out because she'll be dead very soon after. So it hmm. becomes this also very weepy melodrama about hmm. him learning to say goodbye to someone that he loves. You know, so there's just so many elements and whatnot and. Uh, it's just it's great it's like both something that's geared at children's but also has some pretty adult themes uh and it's just like uh and the, the set and the production design looks something like out of a uh, dr seuss like landscape you know like it looks like whoville as far as like it's so meticulously detailed even if it's mostly cgi like some of the actual practical sets are pretty fun to look at or whatever so it's just got everything for me and that's why i love it it's, it's not so much that it does everything well but it just does so many different things at once that i can just get distracted by it because it's doing them all so that is my number two which is a christmas carol uh from doctor who nice nice that's actually a really good choice i wouldn't have thought of that i I wouldn't have thought that you would choose that before the episode i I said i think there might be something maybe that you might have put on your list and that's what i was referring to yeah Hmm, it didn't make it on my list but that's still really that was the thing that i was thinking of that you like liked you know yeah Yeah. definitely yeah okay so (laughs) my number two is a film that has already been mentioned on this episode in passing oh. and that we may have already done an episode on. Oh. That is Kiss Kiss, kiss, kiss Bang Bang. I was going to say, wait a minute. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, I was like, you, you it's, it's one of my favorite movies, <laughs> so it's also going to be one of my favorite Christmas movies because it kind of treats Christmas the same way that I kind of treat Christmas, which is it's something that happens in the background and it establishes something and it's cool. And I like watching it around <laughs> Christmas time or any time in particular. I still don't know why Shane Black like loves Christmas, but yeah, if you want to hear my opinions about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, you ought to check out that episode <laughs> so that's my number two kiss, kiss, bang, bang. <laughs> well, all right yeah i mean we did literally just talk about that two we weeks did ago, and i will say the only thing i would even bring up about it is something i'll probably say for honorable mention because i that is a subgenre of christmas movies that i love which are movies that are not holiday christmas like movies 
but that used the Christmas as its background mm-hmm. to kind of support some of the thing, like you know, uh, themes or so that's happening in the foreground. So uh, yeah. there's a whole can of worms that we might get to later. Yeah, and even though Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is not one of my favorite films, as we talked about on that episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we, I did mention that Iron Man 3, another Shane Black film, and it very much involves the Christmas season and really doesn't get too involved with it. Um, but I, th- I think it does. Uh, it is very interesting. It does pay off some things that are in that film. And that's a nice thing about what well, you're talking about, Nick, about keeping it in the background, but still using it for four things. Like there are a couple of good payoffs with jokes about him getting Christmas gifts for certain people. Um, like having this oversized bear that's delivered to the house. <laughs> yeah. uh, and also um, talking with the one of the better things of that film is actually where he, the, his relationship that he has with that kid that he ends up uh, meeting with that helps him out with charging his suit and that whole thing. And they talk about Christmas a couple of times. So, yeah, yeah it, it's a nice thing that it's in the background, that it's it's themed around it. And there's like Christmas theming happening uh, and decorations and that kind of thing. But it also plays in some of a background storyline. Yeah. So, moving on to our number ones. Whoa. I know. We've we've reached the top. And a partridge Whoa. and a pear tree. Because <laughs> that's like the number one in this Yes. Yeah. And there, there's 11 more after that. And they yeah. repeat them every single time. <sighs> and one gets very old by the end. You're like, I've heard this already. So. I know. And it's even worse when Alan Partridge does a sing-along <laughs> to it and won't stop saying, and Alan Partridge oh, and a pear tree. Oh, that's anyway. so funny. Oh, boy. I just thought about that when I... But anyway... You, yeah that 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 would <laughs> that would yeah I, I just met, that. I randomly started singing the song and then uh, I realized how it tied into something that I mentioned earlier yeah that was great yeah. so what's your number one Alex so my number one um it, with some of these other top six episodes where I've I've had to think about the order uh, usually though my number one is not really that tough of a thing for me I'm usually like right on already know what it's going to be and that was the same case here. And that is uh, the Frank Capra film, It's a Wonderful Life. Look at that. It was a really easy choice for me just because even though this isn't like technically a Christmas film because the, the, the final 40 minutes or so revolves around Christmas, um, yeah, yeah there, this really is not that much about Christmas time. Christmas, really. It's more about like the, the theme of treating your fellow man with uh, you know kindness and um you know helping out someone in need and also at the same time um, being good to other people because they will return the favor and that's sort of the overarching theme of this this film and especially the uh, final 10 minutes or so and uh, just one of those things that it was always as I'm hopefully you know about Tucson. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life, if you've heard of that one. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that one. Oh, get out of here with that shit. This, <laughs> yeah, this it, fucking guy. It, you know, it, as so many other films are on, you know, throughout the month of December, this is one that it seems like is always on on Christmas Eve or around that time. I know NBC for years has played did it in on, prime time on Christmas Eve. Did they? Oh, I thought they always did it on Thanksgiving. Really? Okay. I was ninety nine percent because that's even though it's a Christmas movie, like that was their way of like jumping into the okay. Christmas season. That they I know were. if it's on NBC, one of the other networks always has it on Christmas. Maybe Eve they did a every year. I just Could remember be. it always. Cause I don't remember another tradition on television for Thanksgiving except for Friends Thanksgiving episodes. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, but th- this uh, it's a wonderful life. I-, I think the reason that it always comes back to me and why I like it so much is not only is it a tradition for me, it's been not only my wife to watch it on Christmas. Eve, but it's just 
Um, I, I don't remember any other film where I was a child or and maybe there were when I was a kid, um, when I was a child or when I was an adult that, that made me, me tear up a little bit. And It's a Wonderful Life almost every year does that. And I don't know why. I know what the ending is. I know what it's going to be. I, I know how the whole entire film plays out. But it, it's just something about... Um, it's very life-affirming. Yes. It, it's something about making you feel good about humanity and making you feel good about um, helping people out. That's and... why I can't stand the movie. Oh, really? <laughs> Just kidding. I was going to say, you're a whole person, Just Mr. Potter. Wow. <laughs> Mr. Potter! Yeah. Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter! Uh, Merry Christmas to you in jail. <laughs> that guy's a dick. He really is. He is a bad person. Yeah. But he steals the money, by he the way. He deserves love, even though he's a dick. I suppose, and that's why he says Merry Christmas to him at the end, because he's <laughs> just happy that he's a person. He is. So there you go. But um, in addition to that great final scene that involves them at their house with everybody showing up and bringing all of their money that they've either stolen or <laughs> broken jukeboxes to bring or just donating to him so he doesn't go to prison for uh, having the money uh, not to give to the bank. Um, other parts of this film, most notably the final 40 minutes are really what makes it one of the best films of all time. And also my favorite Christmas movie and holiday media film of all time. Um, everything that involves him and Clarence is just for me. I just eat it up the entire time. Their, their relationship and even though I'm not a religious person, I love that aspect of this film. And I I, I love kind of the, the editing that is involved with some of the things that play out, whether it be when the, uh, the police officer is shaking Clarence and all of a sudden he disappears. And you know, for some from 1950, that's pretty pretty cool just to see that kind of uh, editing happen. And yeah. every year I go out of my way to make sure I watch this in black and white, too, because the color version I just feel like isn't as good. Well, so. because most of those jobs are actually like they, they, they just colorize the print. So yeah. it's like they wasn't. Yeah, because I actually, speaking of that, I picked up Holiday Inn the other day, okay. and I was surprised to see, like, I had no idea, but I turned it on, and all of a sudden it goes, do you want to watch the black and white version or the color version? I'm like, wait, what? what? And then I, I clicked on the color version out of curiosity or whatever, and I couldn't stand it after five minutes because it's like it looks like a black and white movie that someone threw color up on, but, yeah. but not even bright colors, like, just, so I'm just like, yeah, anyway, and those jobs are usually awful. Yeah, and I almost always choose black and white over color. Uh, especially when it was meant to be in black and white. Right. I mean, they they film it for those reasons. Like, that's why the lights are at a certain level. Yeah. I mean, it just, yeah. It it really so, Like, the, the scene where it's the very dramatic music and you have the close-up of... Uh, you have the close-up of Jimmy Stewart's face as he's like panning his eyes around, and it's like very serious moment. And in color, it's just not as, <laughs> not as purposeful. I could just see it looking like very creepy. But... I, I also love, in terms of this just being a film, how every single thing almost comes back, whether it be uh, the petals of his daughter in his pocket or um, events that happened previously in his life, whether it be uh, chasing after his brother after he went into the pond or losing hearing in his, his run ear, um, keeping the, uh, the local pharmacist from going to prison by telling him that he was poisoning a child. <laughs> another one of those, Jesus. yeah, another one of those <laughs> themes that are like, like, whoa, that's like, that's, that's like serious. Did this really happen in this like 
kind of joyous film. But it's it's really nice to see all that come back and to see his effect on the rest of the people who live in the in the community where he can't really see it, but from the outside looking in and watching the film play out, you obviously realize that he's like a saint for pretty much being the person who does everything for everyone and lets everyone else do things that they want to do where he does this shit job and has this life that he didn't want throughout pretty much his entire life. Yeah. It's been way too many years since I've unfortunately seen it, which is crazy because it comes to the theaters every year around here. Like, yeah. It's not like it's hard to even see it in the theaters, let alone on TV or whatever, and I always jump at the chance, but uh, I haven't gotten around to watching it in quite, yeah. quite a few years. And I, I I haven't seen this one in the theater, unfortunately, and I haven't seen that many classic holiday. The only classic holiday film that I really know that I've seen in the theater is White Christmas. Uh, and that's one of Emily's favorite Christmas films, so it made sense for why we went. But yeah. Um, yeah. first movie filmed in Vista Vision. Yeah. Yep. Wow, Ever. I did not Vista Vision. Did well, not Vista know Vision that. is just it used to be called Vista Vision. We now know it as just your standard widescreen. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, like not uh, you know like what's Quentin Tarantino is doing with the Hateful Eight, where that's like you know very uh, forget it, Panavision, and that's mm-hmm. you know, very whatever. But like just a standard one point eight five by one uh, wide screen. Oh, cool. Sorry, random little. <laughs> that is fine. Thingy. And White Christmas also looks really nice. It does so, does great, go. gorgeous color movie, mm-hmm. and you can finally watch a Bing Crosby uh, holiday movie without fear of blackface. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God! Because seriously, even Holiday Inn, and I love Holiday Inn. Uh, unfortunately, has uh, been going out there. I mean, it, I love that during his unfortunate uh, blackface number, it cuts to the black workers in the kitchen, like like oh, don't worry, we included real black people for this one quick cutaway. And I, well, I'm, I'm, it sounds like I'm being offensive, but I'm not trying to like no, I'm just, no, I'm, no. I'm detailing how offensive that scene well, is. I mean, maybe, and obviously that is very much offensive. But the, yeah. there, I mean, if you look at White Christmas, there's no him in blackface there also are no black people at all oh no any <laughs> movie white christmas <laughs> yeah oh. uh yeah <laughs> that is actually you can't have I've, one if it's a bing crosby <laughs> film you can't have one without the other if you're gonna have black really gotta let me put some black stuff on my face <laughs> it's sad but true yeah but it's weird because it's only bing crosby like you do not see gene kelly fred astaire uh other whatever of those song and dance men of the, that era like i just don't i don't think i know of any blackface performance so there's, can, can, I feel like there's something about Bing Crosby's voice that made him think that he was black can I have a, like a, a little aside to like the first time that I actually watched Bing Crosby I think it was in uh, <laughs> The Jazz Singer yeah. I was watching in, a, in a, an American cinema class right yep. and I'm like one of the only black people in that class <laughs> so obviously my reaction is a little <laughs> bit different I'm just like what the fuck is this and meanwhile there's another half of the class is just belly laughing about it <laughs> and it was just the most Jeez. It, it was the most like wow yeah yeah that's that's the one time that i that i really felt like the one black guy in class well the sad thing well, is we like, could say that could be a trigger for you tucson yeah maybe <laughs> the, the sad thing about uh that reaction of like the white people belly laughing or whatever is that that means that in however many years has passed like it plays the same way because that's why it got its start i mean that's a it's a horrible horrible thing yeah it's funny because it's offensive i get it like Like, whereas if i watched it i i I feel like i would like want to leave the room because i'd be like i don't want to look at other people right now (laughs) i'm ashamed to be watching 
and I say that as someone who loves films that unfortunately have it, and that's I do admit it's I, part of loving film, dude. right? You have to love it from different decades and right. different temperaments. And it's like separating the art from the artist, or yeah. like the content from the the whole, and that's why I do appreciate that. Uh, like channels like TCM will not air edited version, and they'll always like if something like that's in it, they'll they'll air that number two. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's something we should never forget. Yep. Because you can't just delete history, unfortunately. Nope. This is starting to feel like a Christmas very special episode where we, we're teaching the audience uh, a very <laughs> a hard and serious lesson. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's a wonderful life. Um, you know, one of those things where pretty much I'm sure everybody's seen it uh, at least once, probably multiple times. Have you seen it at least, Tucson, or not? Yes. Oh, okay, good. good. I was going to say, man, we would really have some of my they, top You mean they didn't in. show you Christmas Vacation in your film class? No. Oh, man. We didn't go through Christmas you know, Cinema 101. One of my favorite conversations that I had in a film class I did not enjoy, because <laughs> <laughs> it was an online film class. It was intro to film uh, mm. online at my community college and i'm not saying i was above it but i was above you it. were above it and uh, but one of my favorite conversations that we actually did have was when we were breaking down what noir is film noir and whether it's even classifiable one of the questions was raised was could you call something like it's a wonderful life noir and i actually came down on the fence that you could and like uh-huh. if you actually backed it up well enough uh, even if it's not what we think of when we the hard-boiled of, detective right. but like if noir is an atmosphere and it's a style then does not that movie technically fit you know as far so well, the... i mean there are two sides to the argument i'm just yeah. saying i i, I love that conversation but it's been forever since I've seen it, so I wouldn't be able to. Yeah, in terms of if you were just having the the debate about it being a film noir, or like could you even like classify it as a film noir? I mean, my initial thought is probably not, but um, I'd have to think about it a little more. But in terms of kind of the the classic noir sort of themes that you usually see, I guess I just can't really think of of those that are really a play. It, and I guess if you wanted to like try to make an argument for it, you'd have to stretch, and it's only used at a point where you would you could stretch a lot of other things in other films and well, try to say there could be this genre. The reason not. why we could never have a universal definition of noir is because we have two sides of the argument, which is, is it a genre or is it a style? Because mm. those are two different classifications. Yeah. And if you think it's a genre, then something like It's a Wonderful Life would not really fit. But if you think of it only as a style and affectations, uh, it's like camera movements and you know it's lighting or whatever could, I think, very reasonably fit. Well, in. but if you're, if you're saying it's just a style, <laughs> then a lot of the things that are almost staples of film noir, then they they you know, that they would be part of that style then, right? I mean, in terms of a detective who doesn't have all of the Well, style pieces. is aesthetic, so it wouldn't necessarily, like, you can't count characters or, like, I'm just saying, like, that's that's where the debate comes from. Are you okay. are you only calling film noir a genre or a style? So Is okay. it just because it's in in black and white with heavy chiaroscuro lighting and Venetian, Venetian blinds and right. fog and you stuff know. like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Or is it because of things like a femme fatale or a, you know, whatever? Okay. So yeah. It's just, anyway, this is a random little Very detour. interesting detour. Yeah. 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 Something that's probably for a, another day when we're not doing a oh, top we're gonna, six episode. We're going to hash this just gonna out. We're going to finish this right, right now. <laughs> it's a Wonderful Life, number one on my list. Let's move on to Nick. All right. Well, speaking of uh, film noir, no. Uh, I'm only partially kidding. Um, (laughs) 
So my my number one, this is the TV episode uh, that's holiday themed uh, that I like the most, and it comes all the way from 1960, so it is in black and white. Uh, it is the Twilight Zone, season two's Night of the Meek. Do, 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 do. That is correct. And uh, I, I love this episode. This is probably, it's just 25 minutes. This is like what... <laughs> Christmas means to me in a 25-minute package and what about it works for me and what I respond to. And just to give a quick plot description for anybody who hasn't seen the episode, uh, especially if you if you know the Twilight Zone but haven't really watched the Twilight Zone, you might be thinking that it's something different than it is because Twilight Zones were usually more scary or creepy or like had a punchline or a twist. This is an episode where Rod Sterling, the, 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 Sterling, the creator of uh, the Twilight Zone, basically put all that on hold just to tell a magical Christmas story with no punchline, with no real twist ending, with no... But because he could do that because that's the Twilight Zone. Anything can happen in the Twilight Zone, so why the hell could we, you know... It's my zone. Right, I mean, it's like, you know, basically the, uh, you know, like somebody like Santa could exist in the Twilight Zone. So the the story is very simple. It's about a uh, star's Art Carney who was... uh, um, was Ralph Cramden's next-door neighbor in The Honeymovers. Uh, and it stars Art Carney as the original bad Santa because <laughs> he is a, uh, a Santa for hire at uh, the local you know, department store and whatnot, but he's also an alcoholic. And so one day he finally gets thrown out of his department store because he's just not really into it and he's very depressing. And so he goes to a bar and they refuse to serve him because he's already had too much to drink and whatnot. And so the crux of the episode, actually, if, if there is a twist, it happens midway through because um, he gives this beautiful monologue to me, uh, at least, uh, about how like he just can't believe in Christmas anymore because he used to, and then he just realized one day that that it was stupid and that the world is a dark place. You know, it's like mm-hmm. that that angsty bullshit that both rings true but also sounds a little corny or whatever. Yeah. So fatalistic, uh, exactly. Yeah. So he's given into that and whatnot, and but he also there's this weird sense of optimism because he would give anything to believe in in it, and that's what's like truly causing him all this angst, and um, and that's why he tries to at least dress up as Santa because he's doing anything he can to just recapture that magic again. So. Mm. He exits the bar, uh, he goes around the corner, all of a sudden you start hearing these uh, bells kind of play uh, Silent Night, and you can't tell what he's looking at, but all of a sudden he, the camera turns and he just sees a, a stack of presents, and he looks at you know, and he opens it up, and he, you, you can't see what it is, but he starts freaking out, like, whatever. He almost turns into a Merry Christmas Mr. Potter moment because he just throws it over his shoulder and he starts running through the town saying, everybody, Merry Christmas, and, like, you know, get out here or whatever. So he starts going around to just anybody, and whatever they ask for, it's in the bag. He just reaches in and hmm. he pulls it out, you know. So it's, that's the magical element. Wow. But th- that's the story is that it's just a man needed to regain his faith in Christmas, uh, and he does, and by sheer magic, and you know, and um, it, it ends with him even basically. The twist is that he becomes Santa Claus. You know, like they're almost not in a Tim Allen way, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but like that was the greatest Christmas gift that he could be given was both his faith in Christmas again, and also that he could give this to everybody else and whatnot. And the, 
That's a really good note. I can't believe the Santa Claus has not come up yet. <laughs> it's on my honorable mention. Okay. Oh, boy. Oh, okay. And so, you know, it's just – it's great. Uh, and so, of course, the other reasons why I love it is that it's a, it's a great performance, first of all, by Art Carney. Uh, he really does sell the, the both the depressed uh, Santa and also the, the – the just incredibly enthusiastic and almost like – ludicrous uh, Santa once he figures out that he can do all this. Um, it's got great photography. It is unfortunately one of like a handful of episodes that were shot on videotape because um, normally the Twilight Zone was shot on film and it's some of the most striking television photography ever put to celluloid and the Blu-rays were such an amazing restoration of it. It looks like it was filmed today. Uh, I mean, you get to the goddamn, like, six or seven episodes in season two where they're like, you know, we're going to shoot on videotape because it's going to save us more money. And then even uh, after six episodes, they even, like, even the producers who, like, wanted to save money were like, God, this looks bad. Yeah, this looks like crap. <laughs> so um, that's unfortunate, but it's also the best uh, videotape episode. So it, it says something about how it can overcome such a horrible-looking format. Hmm. Um, and it's just got so many whatever. And just the uh, true to the nature of the show, Rod Sterling does an opening narration and a closing narration. And his closing narration, which is like two sentences I'm going to read, because it probably pretty much sums up what I love about the, the episode and just Christmas in general. But it's after he has taken the place of the new Santa and he's flying off in his little sled. And even the two skeptics of the town are like watching it happen and just like – Okay, so this is real, you know. Rod Serling shows up out of nowhere, and he starts his narration, and he, he says, A word to the wise, to all the children of the 20th century, whether their concern be pediatrics or geriatrics, whether they crawl on hands and knees and wear diapers or walk with a cane and comb their beards. There's a wondrous magic to Christmas, and there's a special power reserved for little people. In short, there's nothing mightier than the meek. So it's just this idea. Mm, yeah. Fuck, that line is so good. Yeah, so that, it's just this idea that, like, you know, they're like believing in Santa or Christmas is actually one of the strongest things you can do because you're not giving in to the, to the despair of the world. It just it struck a chord with me when I first watched it, and I'll watch it every year, and I, I love it. It's fantastic. So, hmm. And it's on Netflix if anybody wants to watch it. Really? Damn, yeah, I'll watch so. that. 25 minutes. I mean, it's not like it's a chore or anything, even if you didn't like it, uh, but it's, 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 it's good, good stuff. Excellent. Definitely. So that was Night of the Meek from <laughs> The Twilight Zone. A word to the wise to all the children of the 20th century, whether their concern be pediatrics or geriatrics, whether they crawl on hands and knees and wear diapers or walk with a cane and comb their beards. There's a wondrous magic to Christmas, and there's a special power reserved for little people. In short, there's nothing mightier than the meek. So my number one, I guess I should have prefaced my entire list for this, is that this is not a ranking of like – Well, now you tell us. Of, of <laughs> favorite stuff, stuff that like really yeah. resonates with me and that I want to like bring light to. Yeah. So my number one is not necessarily my favorite Christmas media, okay. but it is like by one of my favorite directors and something that I really want to bring light to. And that is, is an animated film um, called Tokyo Godfathers by my favorite oh. animator, uh, Satoshi Kong. Because that's the guy who did uh, Paprika? Who did Paprika. you showed me Paprika yeah. like a couple months ago. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He uh, he passed away in 2010. He only produced like um, four films and like a television series and a couple of shorts and stuff, right? And this film strikes me just because it's a 
it's a Japanese anime about Christmas in Japan, which I I don't I don't know how much media like actually <laughs> yeah. like, like looks at like Christianity, <laughs> let alone Christmas in Japan. So it's just an interesting little time capsule that it even exists yeah. in that way. It's like as a foreigner, I would not even know that. But also just because it's actually a very heartwarming and and affirming like story about Christmas, where it's like these three homeless people like one of them is like a, a middle-aged alcoholic and the other one is like a like a trans woman and the other one is like a, a runaway like teenage girl and they happen upon this baby who is like just in, in jesus tr- christ no it's not it's not jesus <laughs> it's not jesus christ but um basically it she has a name like Kyoko, which means like the dream child or whatever, so, right? And basically, the entire movie is these three people like tending to this kid and trying to get this kid back to like its mother and father, and just like following like the different strands of like how these characters actually got to the point point where they are now. Like you learn about their their backstories and how they coincide with one another, and all like ties beautifully in the end. It just kind of goes to it. It, it just drives home how much. Satoshi Kon was different than other animators like himself. Like, when you think of anime, there's obviously the stereotypes that go with it, but, like, he was one of the animators that was able to mess with that genre, but he was more of a director than an animator. He made human films. He made films that talked about things that he loved, such as, like, cinema or acting or or, or movies, like, anything like that, and it was able to make them in a way that even if you didn't like anime, you didn't want to fuck with anime at all, you could enjoy one of his films. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's, he's gone on to inspire people like even Darren Aronofsky even. So that's, yeah, I could definitely see that. Darren Aronofsky and Christopher Nolan too. So hmm. yeah. Yeah. Maybe it inspired Christopher Nolan a little too much. Yeah. With Paprika. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe Inception should have ha- shouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, After Paprika, I didn't see the point. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's what I said. Um, but yeah, if you ever have have the chance to to watch it, it's like there is no dub version. It's only in subtitles, just because he motherfucker. You know he he was he was very particular about that. I think a lot of his just films kidding. had really great dubs, but he just didn't really see the point of them. Yeah. No, if you I, ever find a copy of it, like the only dubs I ever watch are uh, Watanabe anime Bebop. shows. Yeah. Like whether it's Bebop or Space Dandy, just because for some reason, like I don't know if it's just his direction, but they find the best voice casts. Yeah. Uh, but like all films and whatnot, I always watch the yeah the regular yeah definitely like if you if you ever get the chance like check out Tokyo Godfathers. All yeah. right. Well, that is our list of top six holiday media, and it was a fun one as these lists usually are. It was. So uh, got a few minutes to here to talk about honorable mentions and other things that were maybe surprised we didn't bring up. Uh, you guys were saying we were surprised that we didn't talk about the Santa Claus yet. That was I was not surprised. I... <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad movie. I just I didn't think it was, a... but yes, I... I watched it a lot when I was a kid. So I, have, I. I have fond memories of the Santa Claus, although. I must admit, uh, it was weird then, and it is very much weird now that he murders Santa Claus and everyone is seemingly okay with it. <laughs> it Especially, was an accident. Well, that's fine. He, he fell Santa, off a roof. Santa, it's well, like the Christmas version of Highlander. <laughs> Santa Claus falls off the roof because, because of him. So, uh, But the, I, I, when I was a kid, too, I always found it very weird. And to this day, I find it, it should have been more awkward than it was when he arrives at the North Pole for the first time, and everyone just seemingly is okay with him now being Santa Claus. Like, they've had this Santa Claus for how many years, and they're just like, oh, 
Well, he's dead. Well, I guess we'll just move on then. Like, no one's sad about it or disappointed that the actual Santa hey, Claus man, is gone. Shit happens. And the old man was heading toward a heart attack at some point. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, how many years old? Fuck, yeah, man. Weird. But it would have been much creepier if there was, like, a Mrs. Claus waiting for him. Like, oh, are you the new Santa? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, you're a lot younger. I like it. Yeah. But, yeah, that movie I watched a lot when I was a kid. For and, me, uh, yeah. it's the tragic tale of uh, John Reinhold's character just trying to keep a family together when this psychic psychotic asshole keeps uh, butting in with the really the trump card in the stepdad land of uh, that he's Santa Claus. I mean, how can you compete with that? Yeah. <laughs> um, other uh, honorable mentions I had were uh, uh, White Christmas, which I already kind of brought up a little bit, but I, I do really do. Uh, but we do want to say that we like all colored, <laughs> all colors Christmas. <laughs> oh my God. All colored colors. No. All, uh, all boy. I'm just saying. Yeah. We, we appreciate. We, not we do just not discriminate white. here at yeah. Film Tank. Well, it is a very, very white film, and it's a white Christmas in White Christmas. <laughs> but it, um, I hadn't really ever seen it, actually, until I had started uh, dating Emily, and we watch it every year, and we saw it in the theater uh, this last year. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've grown to really enjoy it, and a lot of the um, very much of the time uh, things that happen in that uh, and are very enjoyable. So uh, White Christmas uh, is one that I almost uh, wanted to put on my list. And uh, also another episode, Christmas episode of The Simpsons that I love. Uh, I don't remember the, the title of that particular episode, but it's where Bart uh, wants to uh, find out what his Christmas presents are even earlier for some reason. And he, he waits until Christmas Day, which is bizarre that he couldn't wait like another hour. But he has this like elaborate plan to wake up uh, early in the morning at like 5 a.m. So he drinks like something like 10 cups of water. So he'll wake up and have to go to the bathroom then at 5 a.m. So he can open up his presents earlier. It's a really bad plot device, but it's kind of funny because <laughs> they had this whole song and dance of him dreaming about having to pee. Uh, but then... Uh, he ends up burning down their Christmas tree and uh, ruining their Christmas. And the community comes together under false pretenses and buys them a new car for <laughs> some reason. Uh, and then they eventually find out that it was all a lie the entire time. And they end up uh, very bizarrely coming and stealing every item that they have in their house. So their house is left completely empty then at the end. And then they it's have like the Grinch. <clears throat> yeah, pretty wow. much. But then they, the the episode ends with them being all together. Uh, and togetherness is very important. But then in very much unlike the first episode of The Simpsons, um, Marge, I think, finds like a handkerchief and they decide to chase each other throughout the house so they can have their last possession that they have, which is a handkerchief, which is kind of a bizarre comment on huh. uh, materials <laughs> of Christmas. But you're yeah. like, I've never seen this episode and I really don't want to. No, I <laughs> just uh, at first before even start, I was thinking one of the most famous Christmas episodes of The Simpsons is Marge Be Not Proud, but that does not sound like that one. I don't think so. That one resolves, revolves around Bart stealing something and like disappointing her yes. his, his mother. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, yeah. Th this one uh, has a lot of really funny moments in it. That this are, is more of a comical one. Yes, yes. it is. Um, but... <laughs> So that was uh, honorable mentions that I had. Uh, and uh, films that I was surprised that nobody mentioned. Not surprised that people didn't mention, but... Um, How the Grinch Stole Christmas well, with Jim Carrey. The, yeah, that's, that's, that is one of them, or the, the cartoon version. Which is much uh, better. Yes. Uh, the, the, the first two Home Alone films, not really surprised that no one mentioned them, but they I are... I always forget that they're Christmas movies. <laughs> Even though like that's literally like the, the narrative, you know 
catalyst is that it's Christmas mm-hmm. time or whatever. And that, you know, like there's so many Christmas icon, iconic moments in it. But whenever I think of Home Alone, all I think about is just Joe Pesci screaming and like, <laughs> like yeah, anyway. That's all he does throughout the entire, yeah. and then Daniel Stern is just completely clueless throughout <laughs> it. And um, yeah, Kevin is just a complete psychopath and he grew up, up to be jigsaw crap. yeah well, as many internet uh fan theories will attest to god i hate those fan theories <laughs> um i will say though about that is that um family guy and you can love or hate family guy um but one of the great little scenes that they did where they just threw it in for some reason is the the special which is home alone with competent um competent criminals yeah and it's harry and marv or, or whoever is walking into the a home alone cow- house and they have all these traps and like oh look there's some ice in the ground i guess we shouldn't walk there oh look paint cans i guess we shouldn't walk by those and then kevin comes walking over on the top of the stairs and he's like i have a tarantula and then the one just pulls out a gun shoots him in the head and he dies and yeah. it's like well i guess we don't have any witnesses now <laughs> I think um, I would like Home Alone a little better if it went like that. <laughs> yeah, I know you would. But yeah, Home Alone, um, I obviously, when I was a kid, loved it just because I thought the last scene, which is actually quite offensive of him setting up these traps throughout the house and then trying to kill these robbers and whatever. Hey, they're he robbers, just man. just trying to seriously maim them. As soon know. as they entered into his house, their lives were forfeit. I guess. And that's the way, because... He does things like drop tools on them, have actual like gasoline explosions that involve them, and yeah, very comically ridiculous things. That's but a yeah. lot of property damage, especially to protect yourself. The, especially the first one, though, actually tried to like have some sort of a message in it. Where the second one just pretty much don't be a little shit. Well, the second one just pretty much like the Hangover two just stole off of the first one. Yeah, and that's all it was. It was just in a different location. But in the other movie, I was surprised we didn't mention or, or didn't come up at all was Elf. Which a lot of people really love now, which I actually is not my favorite Christmas movie. I was gonna bring that up an honorable mention. Oh, okay. I, like I I genuinely do love it, but I don't love it in the sense that other people love it. Yeah. <laughs> like I'll watch it almost every year because people are obsessed with it though. Yes. No, I know, it's not uh, I know people who like literally I see hashtag twenty five days of elf and I'm like, Oh boy. You're gonna watch it twenty five <laughs> days? Holy shit. I mean, as in, on the one hand, it, it's not a movie that does grow old for me like some other Christmas movies. So it's like I get it, but I don't want to watch any of the things that I even listed on my own list 25 times in one month. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Let alone uh, that. But no, I genuinely I, – I quite enjoy Elf. And I, the casting alone, I mean, first of all, besides the fact that I actually think that's a good, great use of Will Ferrell, you know, like that's his man-child shtick is mm-hmm. – quite natural uh just even casting bob newhart as his father is just a great great uh uh no, he's, he's his his, his fa- father buddy's f- well oh. his fake father yeah. sorry his okay elf, i got you not james Caan, his real father also a great cast also a great ca- yes yes <laughs> uh but but just the sight of seeing him sitting on top of bob newhart is just <laughs> little thing like that and not to mention like bob newhart got you know his claim to fame was being the straight man so the idea that he just looked at this situation as completely rational as will ferrell gets to like do his like thing is just just a comedic treat i i um for some reason love the the scene when because obviously elf and he's Buddy's very much excited about everything that he could possibly see, and he thinks it's great. Um, when he's on the the first date with Zoe Deschanel, and he he has her drink the cup of coffee, he's like, "What do you think this is?" 
A shitty cup of coffee? No, it's the world's best cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and we, you know what? We need more people like Buddy. Um, so some of my other honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. Uh, one movie, because I think that's what my honorable mentions will be, will be movies, since I didn't really cover them. Uh, one movie that I love is uh, called The Christmas Tale. The original title is A, Co- a Conte de Noel, because it's a French film. Mm. Uh, it's directed by Arnaud Desplen, and it stars Catherine Deneuve, who's one of the most famous French actresses, and Matthew Almerich, um, who's just kind of getting American fame with things like Quantum of Solace and uh, the Grand Budapest, Budapest Hotel. Serge X. That's right. And this is your very standard, like, actually quite like the family stone. It's about a family coming together for Christmas because uh, the mom is dying of cancer. Mm. Um, but it's a lot darker and funnier. And um, and also, I would say, it's the only movie I would describe as influenced by Wes Anderson and, like, truly mean it because there are a lot of cinematic detours, like a stop-motion scene for no real reason, and, like, which I, I don't mean in a bad way. Like, it just kind of... Or are there things like it takes a very serious turn... <laughs> Yes. A very lighthearted. Yes, like it, part. it's okay. very, very comic, and then all of a sudden, it's like people are crying, and like yeah. you know, like it just like, but it all feels natural for me, and it also has one of the most ambiguously bitter endings. I'm not going to spoil it, but mm. like for being a Christmas, uh, you know, tale, uh, it's, it's that ending, that last scene, depending on how you read it, uh, is either extremely playful or extremely acidic. Like it did, I don't read it as playful, but I totally understand why somebody else would because it doesn't really explain what it means. Uh, mm. So I, I just love that film. It's, it's, a, it's my favorite like dysfunctional family comes together for the holiday film. Um, I also love Gremlins, uh, which is totally a Christmas movie, and the uh, the Gremlins taking over the kitchen to the tune of Do You Hear What I Hear mm-hmm. is one of my favorite like just Christmas scenes and anything. It's just so delightful. I, I love that. And, um, uh, oh, and... <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut is one <laughs> of, of my course. favorite. Is one of my favorite Christmas. Of course, movies. after Gremlins, yeah, uh, because it it totally is a Christmas movie, even if it's not what people normally think of. But a, it's it takes place during Christmas time, and b, I, I could go on at length, and I won't here, but I could go on at length about the themes of this movie or whatever. And I think that there is a very deliberate reason, other than just Kubrick's like to play with Christmas lights, that it's a set at Christmas time because it totally meshes with these themes of entitlement and wealth and how we show our affection through money and whatnot so i i absolutely love that aspect of that movie and oh sorry one more film is uh Whit stillman's metropolitan uh which takes place during winter break so like christmas kind of comes and goes in it but it's it has that feeling of like when you're home from school and you had nothing to do type thing and i absolutely love that movie uh so yeah those are my honorable mentions Cool. What about you, Toussaint? I would say that my honorable mentions are Jingle All the Way. Yeah. The 1996 like, comedy. Hey, you with, know, there is nothing you have to say word customer. Yeah, about a movie that involves Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad. We're fucking going up against Sinbad. I think... Uh, Poor Phil Hartman doing the best he can. And actually, like, being a bright spot in a horrible movie. Yeah, I am just really enjoying those these cookies. Put that cookie down. Put the oh, cookie down. Those cookies are delicious. There, there is that <laughs> that unfortunate scene where I think they're in the, uh, the the factory and like one of the Santa Clauses like is is toppled over with all these like these children and there's that one kid that says that one slur oh, that we're not going to say. No, that was during oh, yeah. the parade. That was yes. during the parade. Yes, Towards because the end Booster of the comes out. Booster. And then, 
they they say we don't like you, you, and then he he calls him a a very bad word, a slur for that's usually directed at homosexual people. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> it's just very <laughs> very random and very out of place, and uh, it's that's that's what Christmas means to Susant. <laughs> Also, no, it's not what it is. You already, he already just, went on record saying that. I, I, I like the film. I just don't like that one scene. He okay. just loves Turbo Man. He also loves that Arnold Schwarzenegger actually goes to someone else's house, breaks in, and attempts to rob a present from another child. Yeah. Speaking of <laughs> Christmas. Uh, speaking of worst holiday dads ever, <laughs> I can't believe that nobody has brought up Jack Frost with Michael Keaton because that is one of the greatest uh, holiday movies ever made. Isn't that the one where he dies and becomes a ghost and he possesses a snowman. No, no, he he dies and becomes a snowman. Like it's, it's there. There's no pretense as to like a spirit or something. Like it is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen, and uh, it's really fucked up. Man, that's like like he was on his way to hell, but they decide like, nah, we'll just we'll just kick him out the car here. It's such a totally bizarre movie. It starts off saying like how he's the best father ever, and then all of a sudden it takes a hard right turn into, but he's also the biggest asshole ever. Just <laughs> before they kill him like that's the only reason why it made that uh, anyway yeah. what a what a bizarre film i hmm. do want to mention another film a recent film from this year oh. and that is krampus oh. yes. very recent yes. like very, very a recent. week ago or like three weeks yeah. ago right it was yep. not yeah. too long ago yep yeah. yep i really enjoyed krampus yeah, for for what it was do you I'm think s- it's going to be added to like your rotation so to speak uh favorites yeah just... no okay. i think that it's going to be a very good Entry level PG thirteen horror film for a lot of like like teenagers. What about in terms of like Christmas? Yeah, that's in what I general? meant. Like, in terms of Christmas, would you, would you throw it on for Christmas? I don't even think it like plays well for like like as a Christmas film because it doesn't play. To you know, the, we are doing a holiday media episode. I know, yeah, but it doesn't. It does. <laughs> even though it's it's based on. This once obscure legend about obscure. It, it are was, we talking that German folklore is obscure? To Americans, yeah. Well, that's a very uh, elitist way to put it. I'm sorry, but it's just like the whole like story behind the Krampus is that like in in Europe they have like mountains. They have mountains. Yes, they do have mountains. People. Very good, Alex. I don't know. There's always a mountain. So in America, we have Santa Claus, and if you're bad, then you get coal, but really you don't get coal. You just get nothing, and even sometimes if you're good, you get nothing. Anyway, but in Europe, like if you're bad, you don't get coal. No, you get picked up by Santa's demon helper, the Krampus. You get put into a sack and then beaten with reeds. That is some full metal jacket shit right there, okay? You better behave yourself. So this film... Like, decides to extrapolate that and turn the Krampus into, like, the devil counterpart to Santa Claus. And all of his little helpers are pretty much demons that kind of, like, wear the, the, the thin facade of, of holiday cheer. Yeah. And I love the, the physicality of the, of the characters, of the costumes, of the special effects. It all looks awesome. I remember seeing like like the first like on screen appearance where you actually see Krampus up front and you see all of his details and my first thought was wow that is metal as fuck. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Um the the first third of the film is kind of slow for me and there's some characters that are very superfluous but I thought it was a a reasonably enjoyable film and that you should just give it some time. Right on. Yeah. Right. Check it out on a whim. Maybe if it comes up on Netflix. 
I would almost guarantee it will be at some point. Yeah, yeah we'll see. Yeah. It looks like a Netflix film. Yeah, it's a Netflix yeah. film. It's a good one, though. But, yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah. Well, that was our uh, top six uh, holiday media film episode or whatever TV or, or yeah. whatever media you want to use. Woo! Uh, if you have a list, as I mentioned earlier, and you wanted to send to us, uh, we always would be glad to get it at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You also can find all of our episodes on filmtankshow.com, uh, also on iTunes as well, and also you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. So uh, next week for our last episode of 2015, it's uh, hopefully going to be a really good uh, finale to the year, a movie that I know that we've all been really looking forward to, and that is... Joy! Uh, yeah, actually, we're not going to do that one. How about no? But we are going to be seeing and uh, talking about Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight, um, a film that I know, Nick, you and myself have been very much looking forward to. And I know, Tucson, I don't really know if you're as big of a Tarantino fan as me and Nick are I, overall. I am. I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about this film just okay. because like I've, I know the whole story behind the production of it, but well, I don't know what to expect. We'll see what happens yeah. in theater. By the way, when I said the word joy, I was not referring to the David O. Russell film that's coming out at oh. the end of the month. I was just expressing what I felt. Oh, I... okay. Shut the I fuck don't know up. how you got confused. Oh, by okay. I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that was weird. That was quite the laugh. Squeaky wheel. So anyways, uh, that is something to look forward to on uh, our last episode of 2015, episode 46, coming up next week. So from Nick Cheney, Tucson Egan, and myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank. We will catch up with you next time. <laughs>